Hello, this is Blake, your co-host of the Sticky Buttons podcast. We're a video games podcast all about the games we love. And Brandon will not be joining me today. He just graduated college this week, so congratulations, Brandon. We're very proud of you, big cups, and we hope you enjoy this little break off. Joining me today is a true pro gamer himself, no console needed, hosting a LAN party for the two of us just so we can uh, record today. Ian Norris. Ian, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Blake. How about yourself? I'm doing great, man. The sun is shining. It's summertime, and I'm just excited to kill some cultists. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. (laughs) Which brings us to the game, the topic of today's episode, the game Warhammer. Is it Warhammer 40,000 Bolt Gun? Yeah. Or is it Bolt Gun? Warhammer 40. Yeah, either way. Either way, right? (laughs) So Warhammer 40K is the name of the series, right? Correct, yeah. So it'd be like Star Wars. Okay, all right. And Ian is our resident Warhammer expert today. But before oh, yeah. we get too far into that, Ian, would you mind just introducing yourself to the pod? You know, where can people find you on the internet? And then I got a couple gaming questions for you. Yeah, of course. So my name's Ian Norris. On social media, YouTube, Twitter, pretty much everything, I've branded myself just with my full name. So... uh Ian Norris is where you can find me. So I have a YouTube channel. I had a video blow up about a year and a half ago called Smiling Friends Changed Everything, which was a video about a Adult Swim cartoon that went super viral and got 1.5 million views. And I was like, holy shit, maybe I can actually like do internet stuff. Unfortunately, I made a couple videos after that. Kind of views kind of went down nowhere near 1.5 kind of realized like I just want to make video game related stuff. So trying to move the gears here and move my channel in the direction of video games because that truly is what I'm passionate about. So yeah, that's who I am. I do video essays. I didn't say that, but uh, I essentially just talk about video games. So that's, yeah, that's pretty much what we're doing here just with a script, right? Yeah, I really liked your Adventure Time one. You've done some other ones about like Adventure Time. Have you had any like standouts that you like really thought like, oh, this was really fun. You've also done some, like, indie picks, like, indie game picks. Yeah, yeah. That so, was fun. I enjoyed that one. The funny thing is, before... Okay, so, like, right now, if you go to my channel, there's nothing there except the League of Legends video, because everything else is <laughs> privated right now. I don't think I'm always going to have them privated, but I'm trying to adjust the algorithm a little bit. Kind of getting it to reset? Yeah, I wanted to say, like, oh, look, people are watching this video about a video game, once my new video that's coming out today, which by the time anyone sees this, it will have been out for a week. I'm trying to get the algorithm to reset and see that like, oh, gamers are watching this. People who like video games. Because the issue was, like you said, I made I made the Smiling Friends video, then the Adventure Time video. And then I made two different animes. One was Neon Genesis Evangelion. And one um, was... Okay. That's an old like... Um, correct. It's a classic. It's a classic from watch the 90s. That. My video was an analysis of the Freudian elements of it because I do have a degree in psychology. So I kind of took that and applied it because it is very Freudian. I mean, the whole meaning of the show is Sigmund Freud and, and psychology, really. And then after that, I did, like you said, kind of it was for 2022. It was like three indie games that I really liked that I did mm-hmm. kind of back to back reviews in one video. And then I did a bigger review of a game called Hi-Fi Rush, which came oh, out this yeah, year. Oh, yeah, that was really fun. I liked that one as well. I absolutely loved. So 
I lost track of where I was going with this. But yeah, I had all these videos. Yeah, (laughs) privated a bunch of them. They're probably going to be unprivated because I'm just trying to get the algorithm back to putting my videos in the right people's feeds. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So that's Ian on the internet. Now, let me ask you this. What are some of like your top three favorite video games of all time? Obviously, you've been playing games a long time. Yes. And I guess it's worth mentioning that, I mean, you do have like a Nintendo Switch, but you primarily play on the PC. Yeah. So I started off like I started off on PC, really. So with three favorite games, I'll kind of go like linearly, Mm -hmm. probably like the beginning. My favorite game. One of my favorite games probably has to be Original Doom. Original Doom 1997 was when it was released, I believe. I was born in 1998, so I was probably five or six when I first played Doom. And my dad was like, all right, here's a computer. Like, it's a family computer, and I'm just sitting there. And I I can barely (laughs) understand this, but I'm like, holy shit, this is awesome. Like, this is is incredible to my five or six-year-old brain you know, like I can barely register. I can't use the internet really, but there's this there's this game where I'm just walking around corridors and shooting zombies on like Mars or the moon or whatever. Do I forget where Doom 1 takes place, but just an incredible experience. One of my favorite games of all time has to be Doom. That's so funny because when my dad sat me in front of our family computer, he had yeah. me play a, a Tonka Trucks game. Where I was, <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of like a controller that like clipped onto the keyboard yeah. and you had like little levers and you could essentially use the levers and it would press down on the buttons on the keyboard yeah and that's kind of how it was the inputs worked that's you would like go and destroy buildings and you could like use like construction equipment yeah i think it was like tonka truck builders or something that's very very different experiences when we (laughs) sat down at our family computers yeah (laughs) so the first one would be doom i would say and then fast forward I'm going to break your three games here and I'm going to kind of yeah whatever you want do some games that are connected in my head. Fast forward to I'm 13 or 14. So I went from PC to Xbox 360. So like I had an Xbox 360 mm-hmm. between there. I played a lot of a Game Boy Advance, a lot of Super Nintendo. I had the Atari Jaguar. I'm not even sure if you're familiar wow. with that console. I'm, I'm absolutely not. The Atari Jaguar was supposed to be the first 64 bit console. So, like, the Nintendo 64 was a 64-bit console, and you can tell from Mm -hmm. the Super Nintendo to the Nintendo 64, there's this massive jump in graphical abilities. So, you look at, like, A Link to the Past versus, what is it, Ocarina of Time Mm -hmm. on 64. There's such a a huge graphical difference. Well, I mean, it's a whole new dimension. Exactly. 2D to 3D. (laughs) And the reason the Nintendo 64... The 64 was the 64-bit processor, I believe. So you're going from the Super Nintendo, which was 32, to the 64, which was doubling, in theory, the graphical ability. The Mm -hmm. Jaguar was supposed to be the same, okay? So this was Atari's, like, we're the first to have the 64-bit console. It wasn't. It was a lie. I don't remember exactly, like, the reason how or, like, it was a technicality, but it was not a 64-bit console. So, like... This thing was just a big black box with the dumbest controller ever. I mean, you literally held it like a brick and it had... Yeah, I'm looking at a picture of it right now. It kind of almost looks like a calculator. It had nine keys and just two buttons, no triggers, I don't think. And it was just a horrible console altogether. I mean, it really was. Like, this this black... And the only thing cool was you'd put the cartridge in, you'd press the button, and if it worked, it had this intro where 
it had this 3D cube spinning, and then it would have a Jaguar, and it would go, and it have the Jaguar sound. Oh, that's and cool. I'm nostalgic for that, but not nostalgic for any of the games I had for it, because I did have Doom on the Jaguar. I was going to say, it looks like Doom was one of the releases but Doom on the Jaguar lacked so much of like what all the other copies did so it's the same oh, really? game but it's only like a third of the of the missions it's like doesn't have the iconic music of doom like oh wow there's only like pieces some levels are dead quiet i believe that's one of the ports where all the blood was turned green that's spooky with no <laughs> yeah <laughs> no so music like, doom was originally on the pc and then it was ported to super nintendo the jaguar eventually game boy advance and all of those ports were not as good as the original 1997, I think it's 1997, release date. Because they just, either because of technological limitations or for whatever reason, like Nintendo said, no red blood. So the Nintendo copies always had green blood, which was to get around like an M rating, I believe. But fun fact, the Doom for Super Nintendo was one of the only cartridges that was red. It was a red cartridge, which was really cool. Oh, that's cool. So the other ones are black or? So for Super Nintendo, most cartridges are gray. And then there's a couple black ones. Killer Instinct, which is a fighting game, is a black mm-hmm. cartridge. I own that one. But most cartridges were just that stone gray. Oh, yeah, they were that, that gray. gray. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. And I Doom, think there was, was there a gold one too? Was the Zelda, was that gold or so was that for? Original the... Nintendo. Original Nintendo, which is the longer cartridges, you had the actual chrome gold for Mm -hmm. uh, legend of zelda which was really cool too that's cool but yeah so played a lot of consoles in between got an xbox 360 had original xbox fell in love the halo series played one two and three and that's actually not the next game the next game is dark souls okay dark souls Okay. so my friend tells me about dark souls i'm in like late middle school probably so i get dark souls on the xbox 360 my friend comes over and he's like all right and i try playing it and it's just so hard it's just so insanely hard to me i can't understand it doesn't make any sense and he's like he's like showing me all these like he's like okay you have to do this okay and like he's like okay go over here and have you ever played dark souls one i haven't played the original the only from soft okay. game i played is elden ring okay so dark souls one you wake up in a jail cell you leave the jail cell The first room has a boss. A boss comes down from the ceiling. It's this giant demon with a hammer. And pretty much anyone who plays video games sees a giant boss with a hammer and you're like, okay, I'm fighting this boss. But you do no damage. You do absolutely no damage to this boss. And it's not until you actually explore and realize that off to the left is a door and you're just supposed to run past the first boss you're not even supposed to fight him you're supposed to oh at the is, that, is that supposed to like teach you the yes. the so world at the it's like, oh you have you to just run. have a broken sword you don't even have a real sword yet so you're just hitting him with the hilt of a sword and it's not doing any damage so you go through there and then later you loop back around once you have your weapon and you're up on like like a ledge? platform yes and then you can jump down and plunge attack him and you do like a shit ton of damage and then you're like oh, oh okay wow. and then you can actually kill him and then move on but dark souls one is super super special as an experience that game a thematically is i think at the time spoke to me more than any other game i've ever played because okay. dark souls one is a game about being a character in a dying world with no hope essentially the bonfire of humanity is it's like the bonfire of the gods is burning out 
and this world is crumbling around you and all the humans are going hollow, which means they're losing it. They're going insane. And everyone's stuck in this cycle of rebirth, essentially. And I remember playing the game and like, there's this theme among it of like, I mean, really, to me, it's an allegory for depression, right? So like Mm -hmm. I dealt with depression a lot in high school and something about this message of this character where like you have other characters who are like they're like don't you dare go hollow and like this concept mm-hmm. of like your character still has their humanity they're still trudging through they still have some level of hope but dark souls is really fucking hard like it really is and there's kind of this theme of like if you give up and you just stop playing that's like you're going hollow you've gone insane you're done with the game but mm. for me like this That's idea, a good way to think about it. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it's just it's such a fantastic experience. It's another game that, like, mechanically, once you get a hold of it and you understand what the game's trying to do, it's fair. It's not artificially difficult. It's a fair game. It's just you have to understand how it's played. There was no other games played like that played like Dark Souls when it came out. Everything plays like Dark Souls now. I mean the Jedi survivors and stuff like mm-hmm. every game saw what FromSoft did and it just blew up the industry. And it was insane at the time because its predecessor Demon Souls was a flop originally. It was released in Japan. It didn't do well. Like Sony didn't want to even give it an American release, but it got some traction eventually as they re-released it in America on the PS3. And then with Dark Souls, it blew up. People like really appreciated it in America. And mm-hmm. As an experience, Dark Souls 1 does so many interesting things mechanically. Like, the map is connected. It's all connected. So I grew up playing a lot of, like, linear level-based games. I mean, go all the Mm -hmm. way back to Mario, go to Doom, go to Halo. It's like, go here, 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 do this, next level. Here, 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 this, next level. Dark Souls is technically open world, but not Mm -hmm. the same way Elden Ring is. It's linear as in it has places, but they're all connected. And it's really, really, really cool. And I don't think any of the other FromSoft games really like would get back to that level design. Where like literally, if you see a map of Dark Souls, it goes this way. It doesn't go it this way. It goes vertically on the y-axis. Yes. Okay. And there's different connecting branches. And something that's really cool is there's ways to get around areas. So like, for example, one of the biggest weaknesses of dark souls is some of the areas in dark souls one are not good like Mm -hmm. they're very annoying and the last (laughs) third of the game very clearly they're running out of time to develop some areas so like for example there's one area that's just fire on the ground like it's just a, a molten lava lake with nothing there except one boss and there's another place called blight town and back in the day, the joke was it was 20 FPS town. Because the moment you walk in Blight Town, uh, oh, your FPS funny. tanks, even on consoles. I mean, it was horrible. But there are ways to go around these places. There's different ways to like go about the game and what order you do things. And there are some things mm-hmm. you have to do. Like you have to ring the first bell. You have to go through Sen's Fortress. There's all these things you have to do, but there's different ways to get there. So like at the beginning, you pick an item that's going to be like, it's like your gift or whatever. And a lot of them are kind of useless. Like there's black fire bombs, which seem useless, but they can actually kill that demon at the very beginning that I was telling you that you can't kill. If you start mm-hmm. off the black fire bombs, you can kill the demon and you get his giant hammer. And that's the only way you can get his giant hammer. So if you kill him when you're supposed to, he doesn't drop the hammer. But if you kill him before you're supposed to, which you can do with black fire bombs very easily, you get this hammer. Now you can't wield this hammer because it has a ridiculous strength requirement, but... You can keep it and wield it at the end of the game. You can keep it and then later in the game, just smash people with this giant hammer. 
Oh, that's sick. But one of the gifts that you can start with is called the skeleton key, I believe. And the skeleton key allows you to open all these doors that normally you'd have to find a key for. Mm-hmm. And at the very beginning, you get out of this prison, a big bird picks you up and drops you in Firelink Shrine, which is kind of like your hub world. And you go from Firelink Shrine and usually you'll go off here and you'll go do whatever, which is the normal progression of the game. Or you'll go over here in the graveyard and get your ass kicked by these skeletons that you're not supposed to face yet. But you can loop around and there's a locked door. This locked door leads to an elevator that takes you all the way down to a completely like a place that you typically wouldn't be able to access unless you had the skeleton key. And you can use the skeleton key to essentially like completely go a a different route than like 90% of players are going to go. And to me, that's like, that's awesome. That is such a cool way to build your level is to be like, yeah, here's a key. Go explore. There's no map. There's no quest markers. They're not so you can kind you of like sequence break it in a way and do anything in, any, yeah. in just about any order. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love it when games do that. The thing about Dark Souls 1 is eventual goal is to get the four. I think it's the four Lord Souls. You're getting these four Lord Souls and you're opening up this door. And the Very way meta. that... And the way that you do each Lord, you can do it in whatever order you want, right? So like there are things you can get in other areas that make like different Lords easier or harder, or you may go okay. off, get leveled up and then come back and defeat a Lord that might've been the first Lord that most people would have defeated. And it'll be a lot easier because you would have leveled up, you got better gear. Up. Yeah. So awesome. Dark Souls one was like the first time I played a game, a that, like spoke to me like i was like holy shit emotionally i was like okay so games can kind of have like that response in you you know Mm -hmm. like i was always passionate about games but i never had like this emotional human connection to a game until dark souls one and then mechanically it showed me that like games can kind of just like it's very deliberate you play games like for example around the same time far cry 3 came out i like far cry 3 and it was an open world but like a lot of stuff in that game doesn't feel deliberate. It just feels like here's an open area. We put some birds here. We put a thing here and a thing like Ubisoft. Yeah, you got to climb up design. this tower and you got to yeah. like kind of, okay, yeah. this one I have to make a jump before I climb. Or, yeah. yeah. But Dark Souls is like, you know that they thought about this. Like mm-hmm. they thought about this. They thought about this alternate way to get around. They thought about if you kill the merchant at the very beginning, you get a sword that you'll never have gotten before. Like, There are so many things in that game that are deliberately thought of from an angle that you just, you never would have considered. Yeah. And the other thing is, I'm not a huge fantasy guy. I'm more of a sci-fi guy, okay? Okay. I love Lord of the Rings, but to me, like, Lord of the Rings is, like, such a great piece of fantasy fiction that I'm like, nothing even comes close to this most of the time. You know, Mm -hmm. I see other, like, fantasy worlds, and I'm like, "Eh, this is just kind of trying to do Lord of the Rings, but worse. (laughs) However... Dark Souls was the first time that I was exposed to a grim dark world, which we'll get back to with the theme of today. So (laughs) this idea of just this depressing, just nothing is good, you know, nothing is good in this world. However, the character still persists. And that's a theme that's like crazy. Like that's to most people, like you watch Marvel movies and you watch Disney movies or whatever. And like, there's not these oppressing, depressing odds, you know, crushing the main character and crushing the audience. But that's what Dark Souls does. Mm -hmm. It's also Dark Souls. So the last piece of bit, the last reason that I love Dark Souls before we move on is the story and the theme of Dark Souls was taken from the creator of Dark Souls. He, as a kid, he would read American, like Western fantasy novels. And 
he didn't understand English. He only understood bits and pieces. So he would read through it and he wouldn't like understand things and he had to fill in these bits and pieces. So you're gotcha. seeing this game that's a Japanese game that everything is Western themed. It's all Western fantasy. Yeah, yeah. And okay. you get this angle that you never would have gotten with like a game like Skyrim, where mm-hmm. Skyrim is very, very, very it's like, like a very Western. Exactly. And mm-hmm. it's got everything you expect in it. But it's got dragons, elves, and you know, the, the quirky people. Exactly. <laughs> but in Dark Souls, there's this weird element where like things just sometimes like you think you know where it's going and it doesn't go that way. And like you meet people who look normal and they have giant serpent heads and things that like you don't see traditionally in Western fantasy, but so many themes of like, oh, there's the dragon and there's this, but then things are completely different. Like you go down twisted. Exactly. Oh yeah. That's cool. And that is such an interesting creative flair for a game. And also you know, that really, not to interrupt you, but no, that no, really no. feels like it kind of really works with that grimdark, you know? Yes. Because I mean, with 100%. a lot of like, you know, like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, like a lot of these like, I don't know, settings, you kind yeah. of can envision yourself there because you're like, oh, just being like a normal person in this world would be very cool. But you know, in grimdark, you're like, I don't want to be anywhere near exactly. this. Exactly. Like, this is tough. Yeah. <laughs> and the piece of media that actually inspired all of the Dark Souls world, and there's a lot of references throughout it, is a manga So it's a manga called Berserk, which came out. Berserk? It was starting to be written in the 80s. Um, A couple years ago, the author died, but it was going on for 30 years. It is a... Did it like come to an end or... So it didn't come to an end. Everyone thought it was going to be left on a cliffhanger, but the author had left behind a lot of notes and a lot of like undrawn story arcs that he essentially gave his best friend like, hey, if I die, here's everything that needs to be done. And his best friend now with the manga team is going to finish up the story and they're going to finish up these arcs. Berserk, though, is compared to Dark Souls is insanely depressing and the most grimdark thing I've ever I've ever read. It is (laughs) themes of murder, themes of rape, themes of just absolutely horrible things that happens to the main character guts. But it's moving. I mean, it'll make you cry. It'll make you feel, it'll make you have hope in your life. Like it is such a fantastic piece of media, but there's like 300 chapters. The art for it, just really quick. The art is insane. This art is so cool. It's so good, man. And the thing is, Berserk came out before anything else. So like a lot of mangas now. Did it kind of start the genre? Sort of. So here's the thing is Berserk was so out of left, like left field and the things that it did. And it was willing to like talk about and show like rape anime doesn't do that like there's so many tropes and stuff that would build up and berserk was completely in its own bubble so like Mm -hmm. there's nothing quite like berserk even nowadays because berserk was willing to do and tell stories that were completely divorced from what like normal anime was doing at the time because you think Mm -hmm. about the 80s the only anime you really had was you had some mecha anime like really early mecha anime which was like giant robots which was completely ridiculous not like iron-blooded orphans i had you watch gosh loved iron-blooded orphans man I, great I think show i might get into that the gundam yeah i'm into it man i love mech so <laughs> i got right here Almost for audio listeners we're got pulling a, out i've got a whole bunch of gundams right here you go oh hell yeah that's sick oh yeah do you have barbatos i have him not built yet oh, so that's sick I have him in master grade, which instead of being this size, this is like the smallest size. Mm-hmm. He's probably like this big. 
Okay, so and he's gonna be like about a foot tall. Yeah, yeah, he's gonna be about a foot tall and a lot bigger, like wider, thicker. So yeah. you kind of paint these yourself. You build them and paint them. So these guys, I have not painted. So this is just the plastic that it comes with. Mm-hmm. There are pens like this, which are panel line pens, gotcha. and you draw in the recesses to like make the armor pop. Mm-hmm. You can paint them. I only like right now. I've only painted my Warhammer stuff gotcha. because this comes. Oh, that with, already comes. Yeah, the plastic colors. So there's, I don't know, three different colors of plastic here. The light blue, the dark blue, and the gray. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm like, that's good enough. So that's my long tangent about Dark Souls. Hell yeah, that's awesome, man. I may have to recommend off podcast. I guess I'll do a quick little pitch right here. Kind of yeah. the way that you were talking about it really reminded me of a game that we, me and Brandon, we love here on the podcast, Hyper Light Drifter. Mm-hmm. Have you played I've heard Hi- of it. I've heard of it. I've seen it. I've never played it. You should really give it a try, especially if you have any kind of nostalgia for like, I guess it's more like an isometric adventure game. It's really awesome. And it kind of tackles similar themes. I mean, like the character is dying and it's kind of up to you to finish the mission and, and, you know, find hope in the world. And it's very like neon and cyberpunk and just apocalypse like it's really cool i've listened to the soundtrack it's banging it's got a banging soundtrack yeah i think it's i'm trying to think of who does it right now is it disaster piece yes disaster yeah yeah oh man i love that soundtrack great soundtrack i'll throw it on sometimes it's awesome (laughs) yeah so i just wrote down hyperlight drifter by the way so if you're looking at me right taking notes that's just how (laughs) hyperlight drifter you know we do have an episode about it so you could check that out too for the listeners as well no, it doesn't really go into it okay. go into spoilers. I will say it was, you know, very similar to Dark Souls. It was one of the most challenging games I had ever played at the time. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to beat this thing. I'm going to beat it. And I just absolutely loved it. I mean, I think that one of the things that's so challenging about it is it's really hard to like pick up on what the game is doing. And like, it doesn't really give you very many hints because there's no, there's no dialogue in the game. Yeah which I think is, is really beautiful and I love that about it. Like there's no language, so there's no way for you know you to be confused and it's really yeah. up to interpretation and I love it when you know art lets you, you know, kind of imprint on it. Yeah. And there I will tell you, I'll give you this little tip. There are these little squares on the floor. Mm-hmm. And if you see a square on the floor, that means that if you head in that direction, there is like a piece. I don't really remember what they're called. I think they're called like cubes or something. Like Sure. I mean, it's what the community is called, yeah. um, these little pickups that you need, and you need them to get upgrades. I kind of would see these little squares on the ground everywhere the first time like I was playing through it, and I didn't really realize that that was like an indicator that, oh, you need to go this way to get a cube. I thought it was just yeah. part of the setting. Yeah. Like, it's just some of the most beautiful pixel art. But if you go in that direction, you'll find like secrets and, and the That's little cool. cubes. Yeah. Um, and it's on sale pretty regularly. You know, it's on Steam, it's on Switch, it's on anything yeah. really. So, so yeah, Hyperlight Drifter. Love that. Hyperlight Drifter. All right. <laughs> game three. Game three. So we went from Doom to Dark Souls. To Dark Souls. To. Which that was a great a- pitch, by the way. I haven't played Dark Souls, but I'm. Oh, yeah. I'm really thinking about it now. You should. Oh, I was just going to say the thing about Dark Souls, though, is I think without like a friend that's like helping you or watching you it can be kind of just being thrown to the deep end and you have to have a really open mind and be willing to experiment and be willing to like try different things try and kind things. of experience it because it can be frustrating it really can yeah you know so i played a lot of games that were inspired by the FromSoft. like i played 
um, Ghost of Tsushima, Jedi Fallen Order. Yep. I'm currently playing Jedi Survivor right now. And when I played those games, like the first thing that I like thought of was like, this is just such a sick way to play a game. Like mechanically, like I'm just like, this is how it should feel to wield a sword in a video game. Yeah. And I just loved it. When Elden Ring came out, there's a lot of people that were like, hey, if you have never played a FromSoft game, this is the one. Mm-hmm. And I liked it, put like 20 hours in, started a new save, put 10 hours in. I liked it, didn't love it. And I think what what I really like when I go to these games, I really like being able to parry and how it feels to parry. And I don't mm-hmm. really like like the block and dodge as much. Like I prefer to you know, yeah. kind of take someone head on and like do the parry, like yep. get the timing. And I feel like I just didn't really get that in Elden Ring. And after doing some research, the parry builds take a long time to manifest in Elden Ring, which I guess is just something that they decided to do in that game to make it more approachable. But as somebody that was like, oh, that's what I wanted. I yeah. didn't, quite, didn't quite get that out of the experience. So what's the the one that they did that's very samurai? Sekiro. Sekiro. That's the one that I've been like, if I like the parrying, I think I would like Sekiro. Mechanically, Sekiro is my favorite. So mechanically, okay. when we just look at the mechanics, Sekiro mm-hmm. is my favorite. When we look at the whole package, the Dark Souls... One and three. Three is pretty close to one. Three mechanically is better than one, but one really give. I have nostalgia for one. That's really what it is. But Sekiro mechanically, especially with parries, Sekiro is definitely the top with parries, but it works completely different. Like there is no dodging in that game. There's no dodging. There's no shields. So everything is with your sword and you have Mm -hmm. a stamina bar and you're essentially trying to perfect like you can block. But you, if you block right when they attack, you build up, you break their like you poise. kind of break their stamina. Yeah, yeah. you break their poise, and then eventually, oh, okay, and then they, you can attack them, and then you can you can actually like critical hit them when you can, okay. if you break their poise and counter enough, and then you get more abilities. So like there's the Makiri counter, which is if someone comes at you with like a plunging attack, you can press B right when it's coming at you, and you actually like mm-hmm. run on their spear and like bring it to the ground, and then counter them. So there's all these crazy, like... Because Sekiro, instead of having a level-based system like Dark Souls does, where you actually mm-hmm. have, like, numbers, you yeah. only unlock, like, abilities. So Okay, that's cool. Yeah, so, like, there's things like the Makiri counter, and, there's, and a lot of those abilities you unlock are, like, not necessary, but in my opinion, necessary to actually, like, beat the game. Because the final boss, a lot of people think it's the hardest boss in any FromSoft game ever. I don't. Like, my friends... In, I have, in Sekiro? Yes. I have two friends who just played the entire game, got to the final boss, couldn't beat the final boss. And, like, it hmm. took me an hour and a half. But if you use all of those, like, abilities that you've, like, learned how to use throughout the game, you play the game how the develop designers wanted you to play it, it's hard, but it's not impossible. There are some FromSoft bosses that are nearly impossible just because their numbers are way over-tuned. Mm-hmm. That's not one of them, though. So Okay, so, so I guess, like... In contrast to Elden Ring, like there's just so many ways to play it. Like there's so many different yeah. builds, so many combinations. So they were really kind of just trying yes. to Sekiro force more, you to play a, a specific way. Sekiro is more like, to me, it's a perfectly structured like. Like you learn the skill, you do the skill, and then. I was going to say it almost reminds me of like how original Zelda games were designed. Where it's like okay. you go, because in Sekiro, one of your arms is a prosthetic and you get prosthetic tools so like you'll get the axe you get like a flamethrower right yeah so like like, a grapple hook and things like that. yeah but they all do different things for different enemies so like you come up with an enemy that has a shield 
and you can't break the shield unless you have the axe. So you take the axe out and you break their shield and then you can use your sword against them. And there's mm. just so many, th- and you can upgrade those things too and they get different things. So I could think eventually you can get like a shockwave blast with your axe where you can kind of hit and like do a blast. Oh, it kind of like staggers them too? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. And there's different bosses. So like, this is a, a spoiler for the first boss, but like one of the first bosses is on a horseback. And if you get mm-hmm. the firecrackers, you can use the firecrackers and it scares the horse. So the horse is like doing that and you can actually attack him without him being able to counter because his horse is going crazy because you threw out firecrackers, which is one oh, of the prosthetics. Cool. So yeah, Sekro is great. Very interesting. Also, would you recommend that to me? Yeah, I would. Okay. I think okay. I would. Over Dark Souls. So the thing is, Dark Souls <laughs> is simpler. Okay. So okay. Dark Souls is like, Enemy comes but up. that's when you have like a shield and a sword. So you still you have can. to play at a specific. Okay. So here's the thing. Dark Souls has a lot of build diversity. So like you can okay, be a pyromancer. Pyromancer like Dark Souls and Elden Ring because Elden Ring really is a spiritual successor to Dark Souls. Okay. They're all about like how you want to play the game. So you can play it just with sword and board. Sword, shield. Sword and with the shield, like you can still parry. <laughs> In most of the Souls games, like a sword and shield is a great way to do a parry build because essentially... There's just a frame that you do this yeah, with your it's a, shield. It's a, parry, it's a parry frame. Yeah, and then you can repost them. And then there are some shields that have more parry frames. So like the buckler, which is smaller, has mm-hmm. more parry frames. Yeah, um, that's what I, I started with in Elden Ring after my second playthrough. Dark Souls 1, parrying is good. Like, I've always learned parry in all the games, and I always do super well. I have friends who just refuse to learn how to do parry frames. Dark Souls 1 backstabs were super overpowered. So you can just like sometimes walk behind oh, an enemy. Oh, just like walk around and them then and do like that. backstab. And it feels great. I mean, it feels awesome. It's like a sneak. sneak yeah. Thing. Yeah. So I was going to say Dark Souls. Do you have a PS4 or PS5? I have a PS5. Okay. Bloodborne. I have Bloodborne. Because it, it was a place that, I mean, if you get like, there was a limited amount of time where if you signed up yeah. for PlayStation Plus, they gave you a whole collection of games. Bloodborne is one of them. Bloodborne, so I technically have it, but I haven't played it. The beginning is very hard. However, that whole game is much faster than Dark Souls and all about parrying. Because the thing is, oh, in that man. game, you have a weapon in your hand, a melee weapon. In your other hand, you have a gun. Now, the gun doesn't do any damage. The gun is a parry. So Oh, that's sick. I didn't yeah. know that. So, like, you have, I like, knew you big, had a gun, but I didn't know it was for parrying. You've got like a big werewolf coming up to you and like going to rise. You shoot him. Bam, right? Like the right frame, he's down. You repose him with your melee weapon. And I think in that game, you just punch through them with your hand and kind of like pull out blood. It's awesome. Oh, so I guess since I already have Bloodborne, as you recommend. You might want to try Bloodborne. I will tell you though, the beginning is very hard. Like you might cry because of how difficult. <laughs> but, but well, I need a good cry, you know? <laughs> there are. It's another game where if you explore and you look around and you kind of find different items and you read the descriptions. There are things to make the first couple bosses easier that you can find. There's little okay. trinkets and tools and stuff. So that's something to keep in mind. But let's move on. Let's move on to yes, the third absolutely. game. <laughs> so this one's a split. Two games that fill the same hole in my head. Mm-hmm. The bigger one is Undertale. Undertale, gotcha. first time I play it. Dark Souls is the beginning of like, wow, games can actually make you feel something. Undertale is like... Wow, games can actually make you like sit there and cry. Undertale is just such a fantastic game. 
I will say you did. You kind of gave me a little bit of a pitch. You know, one of the first times we met. Yeah. And I bought it and I haven't played it, so don't spoil it. I'm not going to spoil anything <laughs> for you because I I will never spoil Undertale for anyone. I just want the basic premise, which everyone knows, mm-hmm. is that Undertale is a game that you can play the entire game without hurting a single person. That is the pitch. That's the pacifist run. Or you can go through the game and kill every single person. There's no one in that game that you can't kill. Jeez. It is a fantastic game made by one person mm-hmm. in the Game Maker engine, which for anyone who knows about game design is is a very like for a while Game Maker was seen as like not a real game engine. Undertale is super duper good. And the thing is about Undertale, and one reason I put it as one of my favorite games of all time, because all these games had an effect on me. I hated Undertale before I had ever played it. Because Okay, I mean, yeah. So I think at the time there's a lot of was it like kind of shitty discourse online about it or I guess I wasn't really tuned in at the time. I've always been chronically online. I've always been online. <laughs> I've always been into internet culture. And when I was younger, I was a shithead. I really was. Like I, I was on the edgier parts of the internet. <laughs> and I just like Undertale came originally from I'm not sure if you're familiar with the website Tumblr. Yes. So Undertale was super popular on Tumblr. And I remember back in the day, like, you made fun of people who from Tumblr. They're all the the sissies and the whatever. And (laughs) in retrospect... I think I made a Tumblr recently and I was like, you know, I'll give it a try. I'll try anything once. It wasn't for me. Yeah. (laughs) Although they do something really cool where you can just pay like a monthly subscription and not get ads. So That is cool. Kudos to them. That's actually kind of cool. But yeah, so back in the day, I mean, there was all these memes about Undertale and the, the community around it, it was cringe. Like, I'm not going to lie. There was like, they'd go to conventions and stuff and a lot of like socially awkward people and a lot of just strange people. But it's funny because I was a socially awkward and strange person who mm-hmm. really it's just a, it's an element of self-hate, right? Where you're like, these oh, people yeah, totally. are so weird. And you're like, well, I'm weird. <laughs> I, well, like, why do I, yeah. why am I doing that? But I finally gave Undertale a try, even though I went against these judgments, and the game fucking changed my life. Like, it really did, which sounds ridiculous, and people would roll their eyes at that at that claim, but playing a game like that, that so many people talked about how much it meant to them, and then really experiencing it yourself and being like, holy shit, okay, this is why people are obsessed with this. This is why people make this their identity. Yeah, like, Undertale is very, it's one of the most popular indie games of all time for a reason. It really is. As a game, it's pretty fun, too, for being like a RPG. He did his mechanic that he made for the game instead of having turn-based combat is during a battle, there's a little like square and you're a little Mm -hmm. heart and it's like a bullet hell sort of. And you move your little heart with the arrow keys to dodge projectiles coming in. And that's that's how. So like the normal run, when you fight someone, you'll dodge and then you'll go to your move and then you can attack them. So like they'll go, it'll be their turn. I was really tuned. I was really tuned. Yeah. So you're this little, (laughs) you're this little heart. You're moving around, and then after you move in, like you dodge enough attacks, then it goes to like actually picking. So like using an item, using an attack, and if you're doing a normal like neutral run or genocide run, you attack them and you can actually like hit them and deal damage. But if you're doing a pacifist run, you never deal damage. You just dodge. So you go to the spare option and it gets harder. The pacifist run, it is much harder in this game to never kill someone because you're not you getting really any levels. Try. You're not getting any levels. You oh, only get levels when you kill someone. That's so, interesting. I mean, that's like in an RPG, you have to level yes, up. 
Exactly. The game was a meta commentary on RPGs and players engaging in games. Like, hey, here's your levels. Here's your experience. Here's you kill the monsters. You grind. Well, not necessarily in this game. Not necessarily. Maybe instead of grinding, you just let them tire themselves out and you talk to them. And each character has different ways you can convince them to let you spare them, to let you come to an agreement. And it's some characters hate you. Like some characters, they want like like characters with names and backgrounds and like they want to kill you. Their job is to kill you. They work for this kingdom and they want you dead. Some characters want you dead, but they don't hate you. It's just part of their job. And like this complex web of characters and how they connect is just it's great. All the characters are memorable. There's one character that's annoying, but she's supposed to be annoying. So it's good writing, but it's annoying writing. But that's kind of the point. Without spoiling anything, it's a fantastic game that in a lot of ways changed how I see games and how I see myself, I would say. Now, that's a glowing recommendation. So you said this was linked to another game. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the other side of that coin, which is another RPG game similarly, is called Lisa the Painful. Now, I have never heard of this game. Lisa the Painful is Undertale is not dark. Undertale has dark elements. And it can be dark if you do like a genocide run. Lisa the Painful is just pain. It's just darkness. It's back to grimdark. <laughs> and as a game, it's similar. There's a similar like charm to it that Undertale has. But there's also not the same level of polish that Undertale has. Once again, made by one guy. But instead of Game Maker, he made an RPG Maker, which is an even simpler engine. Lisa the Painful tells a story of a man in the apocalypse. This is all in the beginning. I'm not spoiling anything. There was this great flash that all the women are gone. All the women in the universe are gone. There's just men. And this man lives in essentially the apocalypse with a couple friends. And he finds a young girl. He finds a baby who is a young girl. And the main character, without spoiling too much, has dealt with a past trauma and this isn't a spoiler because this happened in the game before it but the game before it was so niche like no one's played it so like you're not gonna play least the first lisa game to play like no one does that everyone just plays lisa the painful but his sister at a very young age killed herself because they had an abusive father he left the main character brad left and his sister killed himself and this is something and that's lisa that's who lisa is and the main character brad has never forgotten that. Even in the apocalypse, that's something that still haunts him to this day. And he sees this new, the only girl left that he finds, this this baby, he sees this as kind of his way to make things right, is he's going to raise this child and protect her in this, I mean, a world of only men. You can only imagine mm-hmm. the, the horrible things that can happen to a little girl. And this is another game that like, the thing is, I don't think mechanically it's a fantastic game it's a slog at some points i'm not sure if you've ever seen an rpg maker game maybe not rpg well i don't know i played like on the 3ds there's like this like fez rpg maker is that similar i guess i don't know but it, i mean it's kind of like you can buy the game and kind of user like user generated rpgs is that kind so of the- um rpg maker is like a game engine but there's not a lot of coding involved so like most RPG Maker games kind of play similarly. So they're like turn-based okay. RPGs, simple 2D graphics, top-down. 
but Lisa takes that engine and does some interesting things with it, where it's still turn-based combat, but now you have some fun, like, combo systems, where, like, you can actually press letters and, like, do different combos for, because Brad is a, a martial artist, so there's, like, different combos, like, A-A-S-A, and then you do, like, a punch, and it does, adds a little bit more of a mechanical, because compare that to, like, Pokemon, where you're really just mm-hmm. clicking a button, attack, clicking a button, attack, mm-hmm. and also, Lisa the Painful, instead of being top-down, is a side-scroller, which is yeah, really interesting. Yeah, you look at the art, it's, it, it's interesting. And in this game, it's all just suffering for Brad. I mean, it really is. It's all just suffering. And once again, without spoiling too much, you would think a big element of that is, so the girl he finds is named Buddy. He names her Buddy. You would think a lot of that is what happens to Buddy, but a lot of the pain comes from him trying to protect Buddy to himself, not to her. And it's a very compelling story of someone who hasn't gotten over their trauma, who is going through this world that is just horrible. And by the end is just without spoiling too much is just a completely different person. And some of the decisions in this game, once again, I don't think this is a spoiler. I mean, it is, but it's not. So like, for example, this happens. There are options. There are, choices you have to make in this game that have genuine consequences so it's like an rpg where you have a party so you can Mm -hmm. have you meet characters they all have different abilities they use different weapons they have lives blah 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 and you have these people in your party and you level them up and sometimes you'll get an instance where there are a couple characters who are out to get you and you'll be in a situation where you can't do anything and they'll say all right brad i'm going to kill him i'm going to shoot him in the head or i'm going to cut off your left arm and Most players at this point, I think, have an empathetic response. They go, okay, cut off my left arm. Okay, now your left arm's cut off. Now you can't use half your attacks because all those attack combos use both your left and your right arm. So now your combos are halved. Now, later in the game, you have the same option. How about we kill all your party members or I take your right arm? Well, take my right arm. You don't really have a choice. So now you headbutt them. Now you headbutt them. That's what this fucking game does. Sometimes crazy. you go to a safe station, Blake, you go to sleep, you wake up. People have kidnapped one of your party members. So you oh, have to go geez. find like this fucking gang's den and go in there and either pay them or kill them all to get your guy back or just never get him back and he dies. Like Jeez. that's the kind of game this is. Like Lisa the Painful as a title is because the game's a, it is painful to play. It is not fair. It doesn't feel good to play in, in in some instances, but the story is so compelling. You're like, you're willing to just drag yourself through the glass to experience it. And oh, for man. me, once again, just blew my mind, blew my mind as a game made by one dude who before this had never made a game, never wasn't a game designer. He was a martial artist. He was a professional martial. You can actually watch videos on YouTube of this guy before he made this game doing like he did like uh, weapon tricks for martial arts and he's maybe a couple years older than us but that game just i mean and the ending so there's a dlc that's an extension people are mixed on that the ending of lisa the painful every time makes me cry every time it's just such it is one line that just in your mind you're just like god damn it like it is just Mm -hmm. so powerful so lisa the painful oh I will say, though, the game is also bleak, depressing, but also super funny. 
So they take this just absurd <laughs> humor and just throw it on the top. So like you go through because it's fucking hilarious. I mean, there are parts in the game. One that sticks out to me is you go and you find this orphanage, right? There's all these kids and this guy's like, oh yeah, this is my orphanage. And one of the kids lights a match and they all get set on fire. And it's like, that's super fucked up, right? And he's like, go get that bucket, go get that bucket. And you climb up, you're climbing up, you get the bucket, you rush down, he's, you throw the bucket on them. No, that's the bucket of gasoline. They're all ignited. You, oh, you go get geez. that bucket. Because he tells you to go get the bucket and you go grab the convenient one. He's like, not that bucket, the one over there. And then the screen goes, and there was a bucket all the way up here that you couldn't have accessed anyways. It's all a bit. And then by that mm. time, you get the bucket, you come back down, they're, they're a pile of ashes. Oh and my it's God, like geez. super depressing, <laughs> but how the game does it is like ridiculous. Because then the, the orphanage guy goes, he's like, this is the second most depressing thing to happen to me this week. Oh, and it's geez. just, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> because it, like... It's not even the... Use, oh my gosh. They use the setting to play into these jokes that mm-hmm. in any other game would just be seen as abhorrent or disgusting. Mm-hmm. But in this instance, it's just, it's funny. It's funny mm-hmm. and it serves as a break to the main genuine trauma that this to Brad that's just a normal it's a normal interaction, you know, in this wasteland. Oh my gosh, jeez. So yeah, least of the painful. And the last thing about it is it's been like 10 years since the game came out mm-hmm. and on Twitter the developer without saying anything released a photo that is a pixel art billboard of Welcome to Olaf and Olaf is the place that Lisa takes place. So very excited that there may be an actual maybe a third yeah wow yeah interesting so lisa the painful another great game that in a lot of ways changed my life which once again i'm using that term a lot but we're talking about the three your three yeah favorite games of all time so it's it's a lot (laughs) so that was uh the hour intro i apologize for that no that's okay that's okay well you know we learned a lot about you and you're glutton for punishment you like grimdark so, yeah, that's the perfect segue to talk about Warhammer 40k, I think. Yeah, I agree. But if you'd like, do you want to take a quick break? Yeah, and then we can come back and talk about Warhammer 40,000 bolt gun. Oh, yeah. All right. I'll see you soon. All right. And we are back. And now we're going to be talking about Warhammer 40k bolt gun. Now, do you prefer Warhammer 40,000 or Warhammer 40k? I usually say 40k. It's just faster. I think most people in the community write it out as 40K and say 40K, but both I think are valid. I like 40,000. It just has a nice ring to it. It does have a nice ring to it. So what does the 40,000 stand for? Does it have a meaning? 40,000 years in the future. So Okay, Okay, so I didn't know if it had like a... The 41st millennium. Wow. Yeah. That is crazy. Super far in the future. On Earth. Technically. Okay. We'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Warhammer 40k Bolt Gun is a new game that just released this past week. It's actually the art style is very sick. And as soon as I saw the art style, I, I wish listed it. And I was like, this is very exciting. It's on Xbox. It's on PlayStation. I personally picked it up on Steam Deck. And it runs great on Steam Deck. However, I will say this genre, I'm not sure if it translates very well to handheld. But it is it is very cool. So I guess really quick, just what it is, is I kind of, you know, when I'm describing this, I kind of say like a Doom clone. And I think there's a lot of different names for this genre, genre like, uh, I guess what, say I guess it. what. Say it. I don't want to say, say it. I, can, I know you want to say it and it feels so foreign to you. Say it. Boomer shooter. Yeah. 
But I also, I hear criticism that people don't like the term boomer shooter because it was the type of game that boomers wanted to take away from people in the 80s and 90s. I think we're reclaiming boomer for ourselves when we call them boomer shooters. Boomer shooters? Okay. (laughs) So online, the word boomer was used for a while very loosely and as a meme where like in the community when we talk about like boomers we're not really talking about boomers we're talking about people (laughs) in their like 40s which are not (laughs) boomers so a lot of times it's like like my boss my boss is 50 he would have grown up playing like doom and stuff like when it first came out Mm -hmm. i mean i I guess he would have been like 30 20s whatever but anyways people in like their late 30s or 40s they're boomers you know like Mm -hmm. that's what that's what the community like they're not really i mean mean, boomers are actually like people in their 60s and 70s like my grandma yes my parents are (laughs) actual boomers but online like the term was used for like older just just an older person yeah Yeah. and it was jokingly originally it was like ah yeah doom it's a boomer shooter and the term just i mean it's kind of just like an older genre you know kind of like a take on that original and it's a very tongue-in-cheek i mean you Mm -hmm. can call it a retro fps you can call it i do like boomer shooter too it's got a good yeah it rolls off the tongue even though (laughs) yeah so retro fps boomer shooter in a way clone yeah Yeah. okay so i've got a confession Mm -hmm. this is my first game of this type of the genre I've ever played. I haven't played any any of the original Dooms. I'm very interested. Yeah. For whatever reason, the art style of this one just really spoke to me. And particularly, like, the gun animation. Yeah. Like, the bolt gun. Just, like, the reloading the bolt yeah. gun. I was like, okay, I'm in. Like, this yeah. just looks sick. And I got to say, it feels so good to, like, actually just shoot the bolt gun, mm-hmm. which is awesome. So, but I guess, like, just kind of really quick, from my experience as never playing one of these, it kind of really felt like you're kind of just running through like a level, like it is timed when you get to the end of it, like it shows you your time. Like it kind of just very much feels like a, like a speed running level. Kind a lot of, of that harkens back to original Doom. Original Doom, you would go through a level, at the end of the level, there would be this crazy music, duh, 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 and it would go bam, 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 and it would show you all your stats. It was like mm-hmm. percent killed, secrets found. They really, in Bolt Gun, just ripped that straight from original Doom, and they put that up there. It's very cool. It makes it feel very video gamey. Like, cause I mean, like when you kind of look at it, you're kind of just like, oh, this is very much like, it's very dark and gritty and yeah. pixelated. And like the blood animations are just crazy. But then you're like, oh, it's just like a video game. Like it's very, like it hits that like part of the brain. Yes. Yes. That's why it's important also to give a genre name to these things like boomer shooter or retro FPS, because there are also modern shooters that look modern. So like Doom Eternal, right? Very, very like graphically intense and not retro in any sense, like graphically or I guess like in any aspect that someone might look at it, it looks like a game made in 2020 or 2021 or whatever. But a lot of the gameplay philosophy goes back to these retro FPSs. You have this philosophy of the story is there, but it's not as important. You know, it's in the background and the gameplay is what's most important. This visceral, satisfying feeling of firing a weapon. And just and like ripping through. Ripping through. And it's a perfect recipe for a Warhammer game, which is all what Warhammer 40,000 is about. Yeah, really quick, just on that. Yeah. Like a, a good example, and like when I played this, what really kind of immediately came to mind was a game called Neon White, which have you yep. heard of this or played this? 
I played through all of Neon White. This is immediately what reminded me, or what Bulkun reminded me of. And I personally do kind of like that modern skin on it. I like the way that Neon White feels to play, even yeah. though there's, you know, like very, there's similarities between them where it's like, you got to keep your momentum going and just like use the gun, use like just use everything you have and just get through it. Neon White's an interesting example because... I wouldn't call it a no. boomer shooter. You know? No, Neon White is, so here's the thing that I think is interesting, and this is something, because I originally did have a video that I was working on about Neon White that never mm-hmm. got released. It got dead in the editing process. Mm-hmm. But It happens, it happens in creative processes. <laughs> in my opinion, I think a common misconception of Neon White is that it's a first-person shooter. I don't mm-hmm. think it is. It's a puzzle game, and it's hard, it's a puzzle game. It is. And mm-hmm. it utilizes some of the the similar movement speeds and the visceral firearms, a lot of those things. But you also, you have to, one of the things that's really cool about Neon White is you kind of run through cards and you yes. get these, the cards are the abilities and you yeah. use your bumpers and your triggers to use the yeah. abilities. And one of the key features, like the key mechanic is discard. And every time you discard a, a card, like it has a different yeah. kind of action. It gives you a different benefit. Mm-hmm. And one of them is like a double jump. And for me, I was like, as soon as I saw like, okay, I get this card, I can use it as a weapon, but when I discard it, it gives me a double jump. Like that's really what it's for. You know, it's everything has this this duology and like you can use it to solve different puzzles and like using those tools to solve the puzzles is really kind of when it clicked for me. Also, another speedrunning game. That game was designed for speedrunning. Yeah, designed to do as fast as you can. Like don't stop. Like. There was a couple times like in the beginning where I was like, it doesn't really matter. Like, I'm just doing this for me. But it's like, I'm going to redo this level because I messed up this one thing. It was like, I didn't mess it up. Like, I still completed it. And it's like, I could have done it better and I wanted to do it yeah. that way. You know, so it's kind of like um, the satisfaction of that, just getting through it. So something that I thought was relevant to what you were saying is you felt like when you played bulk gun you had this feeling of like it was almost meant to be sped run because of that timer at the end yeah which i didn't necessarily feel when i went through the first level because i i personally i got lost quite a bit yeah which i mean i think is probably part of it i mean have you played it through on multiple difficulties or have you just done the one difficulty i beat it on the hardest difficulty okay now, do you know, Is I mean, the map's the same, it's just the amount of enemies. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I think it's the amount of enemies and how much damage the enemy does to you. Okay. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm i playing on the easiest difficulty. I have not died mm-hmm. yet, which I think is yeah. just because of that. But I also, I was like, very intentionally picked the easiest one because I was like, I want to, I kind of have an idea of what this is going to be and I don't want my death to make me lose momentum. Yeah. I was going to say in relation to that, to original Doom which is what this game is inspired by. Mm-hmm. Original Doom and its predecessor, Quake, were the birth of speedrunning. That's where the speedrunning community came from, was original Doom. Okay, I did not know that. Yeah, there was a built-in, back in early 2000s, and there was a built-in system into the original Doom that you could save gameplay footage, and people would like upload that online. Oh, no this way. is before wow. YouTube and before yeah. This was the early two thousands speedrunning community that was birthed out of Doom and then eventually Quake. The websites for speedrunning were initially just Doom and wow, Quake speedrunning websites. So we really have we really have Doom to thank for, you know, the entire Yes. <laughs> wow. And it wasn't until years later that because it was really a small, tight knit community online, mm-hmm. but remember before social media, before YouTube uh, eventually they said, you know what, let's open this up, not to just Doom and Quake, let's open it up to everyone and different games and let's see Zelda and let's see Mario and let's just see what people are, what they, how yeah, fast can, they can, can be Can you beat game. Ganon with a stick in 10 minutes? Somebody yeah. can. <laughs> and 
that's eventually would make it's called games done quick i don't know if you've ever seen games done quick or i've these, heard of it yeah there are these events where people will come out and do these streams mm-hmm. where they all speed run a game and there's a whole culture around speed running that really has doomed to think for any of it yeah so yeah, it's very interesting to watch like i i don't know if we've ever actually talked about it on the podcast but like the speed running I don't know, corner of gaming is just so fascinating. And I definitely recommend anybody just Googling, you know, your favorite game speed run. Yeah. And you'll just yeah. feel awful. Like, like sometimes like, I mean, it's really cool, which I think is the, the cool part of it. It's like, you're like, how is this even possible? And it's like a lot of times people use like glitches and bugs to get through areas that they're not meant to. And I remember I played Celeste. Like I'm personally, I'm not really a big platformer. I've never really loved them. They're not my favorite. I played yeah. Celeste for the story, and the only reason I picked it up is because I heard they had, like, accessibility options where you could, like, turn on, like, an invincible jump, and, like, you couldn't sure. die. So, I, because of that, I was able to play through Celeste. It took me, like, twice, like, how long to beat, how long to be average. It took me, like, twice that. Yeah. With infinite jump, and, like, I couldn't die. I was invincible. I had infinite yeah. jump, and it took me twice as long as a normal person to get through, like, a platformer. And I saw, like, a speedrunner. Like, I was like, I just wanted to know, like, what the speed running time was. And, like, somebody has gotten through the game in six minutes. And I was like, you've got to be joking Have you seen, do you know the game Hotline Miami? I have heard of it and I've seen some gameplay. Okay. So, Hotline Miami is a game that I love. Like, it would be a close fourth or fifth on that list Mm -hmm. of games. So, how long to beat has Hotline Miami at, like, main story they have at five hours. But the game is... Like, when you first play, it's hard as nails. So, like, I think most people are closer to, like, the seven and a half to eight hour mark. Hollow Mammy was the only game that I loved so much that I would speedrun it because it was a shorter game. Mm-hmm. And I got it down to I could beat all of Hotline Miami in, like, 35, 40 minutes. Wow. Which that's, I mean, that's was pretty like, good for, like, a, it's really, that's a competitive yeah. and like, amount of time. I think the world record is sub 20 minutes that's pretty so, good yeah so still like i mean that's they a, were doing some crazy skips yeah yeah if you can i mean if my personal take is if you can do it under an hour or you can do it around yeah. the 30 hour mark like that is insane <laughs> i love that game though i mean for speed running it's so fun i mean you're just going through going through going through and like it's super when you die you just hit r and you're back and it's like it's just mm-hmm. awesome but Bolt gun. Yes. The main. <laughs> we have so many tangents. Back to bolt gun. Back to Warhammer forty thousand. Do you have any other questions? Should I start talking? I would love for you to start talking because I'm like I said, I'm not super familiar with the genre. I have no idea what Warhammer forty thousand is. This is my first, I guess, interaction yeah. with the series. Yeah. I did kind of like. I know it, it spans like board games, and I know it spans yep. a bunch of different games. Are there novels as well? Let me give you a little rundown. Okay. A little history and a rundown. So, Warmer 40,000 originally was released in the 80s, I believe, okay. as a tabletop miniature game. Gotcha. So, people who are not watching, obviously, because this is this is, this is audio, audio. But you can see You're holding up uh, like an right action here. figure. He's got a, yep, a it's, chainsaw so, sword and yep, a super and sick gun. Is that a bolt gun? That's a bolter pistol. So this is a normal Sick. Marine, okay? So he's he's that size. Okay. Here is a Space Marine. So you can see there's a quite a okay, size yeah, difference there. Okay, yeah, it's like double the size. Yeah. So 
This is where Warhammer got its start. But back in the day, there was not plastic molded, injected models like this. It was metal models, the pewter. They were made of pewter. Gotcha, yep. And you would buy them and you would glue them together and then you would paint them. I don't have any of my painted ones over here, but... Then you play, uh, some people just paint them. Some people just build and paint them. But there's also, it was the first, one of the first war games where Mm -hmm. you got a bunch of guys and there's stat sheets and you got D6s and you (laughs) roll your D6s and you attack and certain numbers hit and certain numbers So is it it like, it's a solo or is it competitive? Like it's competitive. It would be like two player, four player, two two players. So it is just a 1v1. Okay. So yeah, it's 1v1 and the train says hello. Yep. (laughs) Yes. So I live in New York and like some of our earliest recordings, like I was on Broadway and there's just nothing we could do about it as the police and um, ambulances went by. So I I think a train is fine. I guess it's a throwback to our earlier episodes. (laughs) That's always what I hear in the background for uh, Adam. He lives in L.A. and like downtown Hollywood. And it's always just like ambulances (laughs) and everything. But yeah, so 40K got its start on tabletop mm-hmm. and still i mean 30 i think it's 35 years later like people are still playing it we're about I mean, to we're hit playing a, a video game you know based on it so i mean it's obviously yes. successful yes although i will say a little bit less known like i had heard of it but i kind of didn't really know what it was yeah so you have the tabletop era the tabletop it's going to 10th edition this summer which is like every four years it gets a new edition and a refresh new rules so this is like and 10th edition like 40 50 years then 35, 35 years i believe okay. so some of them they probably had smaller gaps between the edi- like the first edition second edition third edition mm-hmm. will probably squeeze together so you have the tabletop stuff and then as it starts to build because back in the day i mean the designs and the philosophy of like what Warhammer was has changed so much, but you can still see elements of it. So, like, I'm going to paste this for you. This is, like, one of the original pewter models for a Space Marine. Oh, wow. And you can still That's see... really cool. And you can still see a lot of elements that have, like, translated to nowadays. So it kind of just looks like very bulky, like, metal armor. Kind of like... What it's kind of reminding me of is kind of just like like one of those knights. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm trying to think of a better way to describe it. It's like a knight in like ironclad armor, like the face, it comes to like a point, kind of like a carrot and it's kind of yeah. like very bulky armor, you know, kind of like a mix between like a football player and kind of like a sci-fi knight. Yeah. So that's a lot of the design philosophy that they moved with is like, so originally there wasn't like all this lore around Warhammer 40,000. They were just making these models and there was some story that was starting to come up, mm-hmm. but with each edition, there started to be a identity that was being built around a lot of these different armies and factions and stuff so they started having novelists write novels about these different factions and you see with the early 2000s is where a lot of the a lot of this really gets like with that edition it was like here's our novels here's what each faction's really about and i mean up until the 90s you still had a lot of the groundwork set but the early 2000s has some fantastic novels that i've been going through recently because the thing about warhammer 40,000 is for a general what is warhammer 40,000 it's not really a story right so like you look at the original kind of more of like a setting it's a setting Mm -hmm. exactly so warhammer 40,000 is a place where things happen and there are stories in it but it's not necessarily this big linear thing you have to read each one there are hundreds of novels hundreds maybe thousands i'm not even sure (laughs) it's 40,000 probably (laughs) but the thing is is like so you have stories 
you have the tabletop game. Or even in the 90s, you had video games. You had early DOS games. One of the earliest ones, I believe, was uh, Space Hulk. It was a DOS-themed like you're familiar with DOS, like the original a little bit. computers. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's like, like an we're, system, we're talking right? pre Windows. We're talking about, yeah, we're talking some of the earliest operating systems. You had Warhammer games on them. And this whole brand has sort of just gotten more and more stuff. You know, I mean, now we're getting more and more video games. We're getting, you know, Henry Cavill. Mm-hmm. Henry Cavill is a huge, huge Warhammer fan. <laughs> So something that like originally me or you hadn't heard of Warhammer 40,000 is because it's not big in America, but it's huge in Europe. So you go to places like the UK, it's a household name for like moms and dads. Everyone knows what Warhammer 40,000 is in Europe. It's now just starting to get popular here. But even myself as a kid, I met one of my friend's dads had a chaos space marine army and mm. i remember just looking at it and being so impressed and he would show me like he had this big case he's like ah, here's my uh, chaos space marines and here's my demons and it was just so cool because he had painted all of them and i was like man but i was always like i could never do that mm-hmm. you know it, it seems so just intimidating like putting them together and painting them and you're just like holy shit that's a lot of work yeah but as the time has gone on, it's become a more and more popular franchise because there are all these different little things that people might play and then get into it. So like Bolt Gun now, you're probably going to see a whole bunch of people who play Bolt Gun for the first time, then get into Warhammer, and then maybe they buy some miniatures. And yeah. then, oh, I went off on a tangent. Henry Cavill, big fan of Warhammer, <laughs> has been for a long time. Superman. He, Superman. Mm-hmm. Superman and played uh, Gerald oh, in, in, the in the Witcher. Witcher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is being a producer on a Warhammer television show that's being made right now for Amazon. That's sick. Okay, so like it's coming to us in okay. yes in the, in the and US. It's, it's important to understand though that Games Workshop, they're the ones who own Warhammer. Mm-hmm. They are super, super protective of their IP. They haven't made shows. In, oh, wow, okay. The reason there's not shows and movies of Warhammer is because most companies, say like Halo, right? Like Halo got a television show and that television show was kind of a flop. It's kind of because <laughs> Maybe, they maybe just, less than mid. <laughs> yeah. They just gave their IP out and said like, okay, make a show with that. Pay us however many millions of dollars and you can make a show. Yeah, very much like a for-profit endeavor. Games Workshop's like, no. If you're going to make something, it's going to be our creative heads. We're going to choose who's at the head of the project. We're going to choose the actors. We're going to tell you what you can and can't say about the stories. There's not going to be any retconning. There's not going to be any mm-hmm. you making up stuff and changing. No. We want our IP exactly how the story is told, which is ironic because even in their own circle, they have the Black Library Publishers, which is all the people who write these novels. Early on, there was, even in the early 2000s, there were some novelists who took too many liberties, Mm -hmm. I will say. And they're just, in retrospect, the community has deemed them non-canonical. They're non-canonical They're like a legend story. Yes, Yeah. yeah. Which is actually a thing in the Warhammer community is they say everything is canonical, but not everything is truthful. So That's cool. most I like of the that. stories yeah, are from the perspective of the Imperium of Man. And there's the idea that like everything was written down by the Imperium of Man, but not necessarily everything's true. Yeah, or you know, a lot of it's myth yeah, or a lot of it's legend, yeah. distorted by history. I like those kind of things because I mean I mean just like the reality of having something, you know, start off being one thing and then, you know, be, being a hit and people wanting more and having yep. more and more people touch an idea it kind of changes and warps and you know that's really cool like i mean a lot of these franchises that 
a lot of us are into are, you know, they're older than us. So like having like good retcon in can really make or break yeah. and the believability of a series. So that's cool that they have that. So or, yes, the community has that attitude towards it. Yeah. So to tie it back into bolt gun, actually really quick, I do have a question. So it's kind of just like about the world. It's very sci-fi. It's in the future. There are a lot of different cults and like factions. Can you maybe yep. just like talk about like, does Bulkan yeah. take place in one? Like, are you a member of a space Marine and like you're, yeah. you're fighting yeah. cultists? Is that kind of, yeah, I was going to, okay. that was exactly what I was going to go into. Totally. So bolt gun takes place. It's actually kind of a sequel to the game space Marine. So space Marine came out in 2012. Okay. It's a third person game space Marine. I just played recently. So good. It came out in 2011 okay. And it's really, really good. Maybe a little clunky in some instances, but I think Space Marine does a much better job at making you feel like a Space Marine versus Bolt Gun. And I like Bolt Gun, don't get me wrong, but I'll go into some of those intricacies a little bit later. But Space Marine, it was the first one. This is kind of a side sequel because Space Marine 2 is coming out this year and it looks awesome. So Bolt Gun serves as kind of like a side sequel. So in Bolt Gun, so there's the Imperium of Man, right? In the 40,000... Okay, I have to give a rundown. Yeah, give us the rundown. A basic historical (laughs) rundown. Okay, so once again, I'm not an expert. So if anyone's an expert in Warhammer lore, there's going to be some points that they might be poking some holes, but I've only read a handful of novels and a handful of YouTube videos and played a handful of games. That's a lot more than me, man. I'm still an infant in the Warhammer community. So you have on Terra, I believe Earth is not Earth. I think it's Terra in this so universe. It's, it's but called it's, Terra, it, but it's the same place. It's supposed to be Earth. So it has a different history than us. So honestly, like, let's just Terra. call it's called the Earth Terra. Like let's rebrand it. Yeah, I'm, much cooler. Honestly, much it's cooler. Much cooler. <laughs> so humans, normal, but then there's also sometimes perpetuals. Perpetuals are people who, when they die, they are reborn eventually. And if they don't die, they're pretty much immortal. So they're reborn as like a baby. So they get rebirth. Like, like reincarnated. Yeah, reincarnated. There's one perpetual that's more powerful than the rest. And he ends up being known as the emperor of mankind. He kind of plays a back... Like, he has hands off most of the time. You know, he's a king for a while. And then the kingdom falls. And then he might go off and be a vagabond for a while. When humanity needs someone to bring them back together, he comes back and kind of like brings humanity together and then might kind of stand off for a while normal like technological evolution happens humanity has a golden age led by the emperor however we reach this era of such technological advancement that they develop artificial intelligence the artificial intelligence makes the men of iron which are essentially robots that have the same just as advanced if not more advanced than humans and we're kind of working hand in hand with the men of iron until a snapping point and it all turns against us Mm. in an instant like 95 percent of humanity is wiped out the golden age is ended and there's a war fought to destroy the artificial intelligence wipe it all out get rid of the men of iron and at this point humanity has kind of spread a little bit among the stars so we're not just on terror anymore so they wipe out the artificial intelligence and we're now thrust into a completely different era where the majority that you're ravaged by this war Yes. So the golden age collapses. They have to rebuild, but it's a firm rule. Now we're not doing that again. We're not doing artificial intelligence again. We're not letting machines run anything. Well, how do you have 
technological advancement if you're not going to allow artificial intelligence or automation control something. Wait, so there's no automation. So it's they took no, a step back even though there's no computers controlling automation. So how would you mm, control the automation? So have to be the person. Yes, but they're not. So what they do is you'll find serv. I don't think there's any in bolt gun, but in the stories and in the games, there are what are called servitors. And servitors are people who, for whatever reason, went against the Imperium of Man. They're heretical against the Emperor. They are prisoners. They're murderers. And they are taken. They are lobotomized. So they are barely sentient. And they are used for whatever purpose we would use for a machine. So, for example, in the game Darktide, which is a co-op, like, horde-based kind of shooter game, the medical stations are automated medical stations that are servitors. So this opens up. And there's just a guy with cybernetic enhancements and an arm with a syringe and, and a scalpel. And he's the medical station. And he talks to you. He has still has sentience. He's not just like nothing there, but not enough sentience to really be a person. Mm. So he's like, sometimes he'll say things like, take me with you, please. Like very dark, <laughs> insanely dark. Because humanity has learned, Ugh. like, well, we can't do the artificial intelligence thing again. It, it destroyed humanity. So they did is arguably worse. But <laughs> we'll take the prisoners and we'll take the people who are heretical and the people who are problem, and we'll turn them into tools. And as time goes on, like Warhammer, so there's actually Warhammer thirty thousand, which is referred to as the Horus Heresy. Okay, so the Emperor of Mankind is. This is after the Golden Age. The Emperor of Mankind is having humanity. And now aliens are starting to come up a little bit. There's aliens that they're meeting in the in the cosmos, and most of them are not are not nice. They're trying to take human worlds and all this shit's going on. Now the Emperor of Mankind knows that there is chaos. Chaos, there are these gods that exist, but we haven't really made contact with them yet. They haven't really connected yet. Of course, the and god these of gods, chaos. You gotta have it. There are four gods. So okay. the ruinous powers are these chaos gods. The chaos wheel is a star with eight sides. And you'll see that a lot in bulk on the symbolism of this star, mm -hmm. the circle with eight points. Now there are only four chaos gods right now, but chaos gods can be born. So like there's four gods, corn, which is the God of blood. And he's like very clap. You don't really see any of the gods, but you see like avatars that kind of represent them. So corns, demons and cultists are very bloody obsessed with melee combat the scream is like more blood for the blood god more skulls for the skull throne he is just okay. just aggression and blood and power then there's nurgle which nurgle is the cast god of pestilence and infections and diseases mm. and bugs I don't like that. Not a fan of those. <laughs> but Nurgle is actually kind of a cool guy. Like for a chaos god, he wants to infect you with all these things. And he wants you to be infected and your organs to fall out and bugs to live in you. But you're going to be immortal and not feel pain anymore. He wants you to uh... essentially just be part of this great cycle where you're no longer suffering and you're no longer feeling pain. You're just part of... Uh, you're part of the Nurgle's Legion and part of the cycle of life just to have bugs live the inside community you, you commonly know? refers to him as Papa Nurgle just because he's just this this big guy in the sky making up a big pot of pestilence and viruses and <laughs> giving them out to the world. So that's and then there's I always fuck up this name. It's T-Z-E-E-N-T-C-H. And I think it's Thinch. 
Mm, okay. But it's hard to pronounce. Finch is the god of change. He's like the trickster asshole. He classically makes deals with people and fucks them over. Mm, and he yeah. gets, he's not really evil or good. He just likes change. So whatever is causes the most chaos and fucks with people, like he's going to do that. And then the last god is Slanesh. Slanesh is the newest god. So there was a race called the Eldar, which are actually in 40k, but you've, you don't see them a lot in the games because they're less popular. But the Eldars are like space elves. So something important is 40k, there's a normal Warhammer and it's normal fantasy. 40k originally was taking a lot of these fantasy aspects and putting it in the future. So there's gotcha. like space dwarves and space elves and space humans, like all just taking all the factions, making them in space. Slanesh was born out of the space elves, which are the Eldar, had a subset called the Drukhari. And they were absolutely like depraved and they started doing fucked up things and just like sexually and torture and just crazy stuff. And they're, they were so depraved that they essentially created a new chaos god, which is Slanesh, wow. which is this god of excess and pleasure and getting whatever you want, but like in a twisted, demented way. And uh, because all the chaos gods are formed through emotions. Mm. So like they didn't exist originally until all these people started like, like corn came from war and all these people started fighting and this anger and this hatred. Oh, well now corn, because so it's kind of there just like a manifestation of our, our own emotions. Yes. And, wow, yes, okay. exactly. But not only our emotions, but all other, of the means. Uh, yes, exactly. Wow, okay. This is a lot of background, but it is kind of important to kind of understand what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, I mean, it's, I guess just, Really quick, when you start bolt yeah. gun, you don't get any of this. You know none of this. None of this. He just you, throws you in. You just guy, have a good time playing the game. You're blue guy and you're shooting cultists. Yeah. So that's as far as you mm -hmm. know. At least so, in the beginning. But yeah, this, yes. I mean, I'm very interested in, you know, the series. It's got a lot of history. Yes. So continue, please. Yeah. So you've got these four chaos gods. The emperor kind of knows that they're, they exist. Something's going on out there. Chaos hasn't started to... Because in that game, like cultists, what happens with cultists and chaos space marines, which we'll learn about. So like the cultists are just people and they start to get the call of this chaos and the chaos gods kind of speak to them. They're like, hey, how about you uh, pray to me and maybe I'll give you some more power. And maybe if you kill a couple people, sacrifice a couple people and, you know, eat some babies, maybe maybe you won't be a little peon anymore. Maybe you can be like a cult leader. Mm. And that calls to people. And you start to see in these human districts, you... And there's a secret underground cult that's starting to arise and sacrificial. I'm, I'm reading a book right now, actually, where they know there's a cult because they're finding people and their tongues and their eyes and their hearts are all cut out mm. in these sacrificial killings. And they're finding all these people and they're like, this isn't just a murderer. This is it's a cult. very clearly a cult. So the Emperor of Mankind, this is Warhammer 30,000, before we get to where we are right now, he knows this stuff is going on, and he knows humanity is going to have to, uh, like, get ready to face chaos. It's going to be the biggest enemy. The aliens, they're, they're a problem, but they're not going to be as big of a problem as chaos Which is, is. you know, going to affect everybody from within. Correct. Okay. So, I guess, maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but is... Yeah. Is there, I guess, like a cult for every of the... All of the chaos gods has, like, a human cult... Yes, which there's also some people who are chaos undivided, which just kind of means they pray to all of the powers mm. and they, they kind of pick and choose. So I think most of the cultists in Bolkan are more um, undivided. So like if you dedicate yourself to one god, you're more likely to get like ruinous gifts, which essentially means like, okay, you get like a huge boon from them. Yes, but also like a curse. So like if you pray to like Nurgle exclusively, you're probably going to be like, there are what are called pox walkers, which are just like 
zombies essentially because they're rotting decayed like if you're a lower human you're probably just going to get turned into a pox walker which means like your brain's gone you're just you don't feel pain you're just a walking vessel for pestilence if you are a cultist for like Solanesh, you might get like a giant penis or something like <laughs> like we're, we're, <laughs> okay. anyways so what if, what if you're a cultist for for corn the the blood god do you just get like beefed he up he has his own yeah so there's like the models there are these guys called corn jackals and they're kind of like corn cultists and they're just super ripped they have big tanks of blood on their back they have two chain axes nice and they're just wearing a gas mask just covered in blood i mean they're just always angry always waiting to just rip people apart so you got all these chaos gods you got the emperor now the emperor has sons okay this is super important the emperor has like 19 i want to say 20 sons 19 or 20 sons (laughs) I think it's 20. He has 20 sons. He like has these children and they're all dropped off on different planets to be raised. And he's going to come back and get them when they're adults because he wants them all to have unique lifestyles and all be like raised in their own way. These kids are half. I mean, they're demigods. Essentially, the emperor isn't a god, but he's pretty much a god. These are like demigods. They're much bigger than normal humans. They're pretty much they live for a long time. I don't think they're perpetuals like the emperor. I think the emperor is the only perpetual where he will come back. But you have all these. These are called the primarchs, okay? So there's all these primarchs. They're all put on these. This is what Warmer 30,000 is about. All these primarchs, the emperor goes. There's novels for each one. The emperor goes. He picks up all the primarchs. He brings them back. And he's like, all right, here's my space marine legions. What we're going to do with the space marines is we're going to take your genetic material that you have. We're going to copy it. And we're going to put it into people. And we're going to give them like more organs. And we're going to let them become like part of you, right? They're going to be your sons. You're my son. You're going to have your own sons. But instead of being like babies or something, you're taking soldiers and you're implanting the gene seed is what they call it. So each chapter has different mutations and they're all different and they're all flawed in their own ways. Now you get all these legions and there's 19 legions. Okay. And all the legions are different in their own way. Yeah, exactly. So you've got some legions that are classically like good, like the Imperial fists are just these dudes in yellow clad armor. They love their big power fists. They love protecting fortresses. They're very classically like just a military. But then you have people like the Night Lords, where the Night Lords on the planet that their Primarch was raised was like, because they each take people usually from where the Primarch was from. So like where the Night Lords are from is horrible. Like, I mean, there's rape, like a lot of them are rapists and murderers. And like the emperor doesn't like that. He tries to put them to be in the right way, but like it's not working, you know, like Mm -hmm. they're pretty evil guys, even though they're good guys. I was reading a short story the other day where um, this uh, Night Lord talks about there's this riot that's breaking out in the city that the Imperial Fists were supposed to stop before it became a riot but they didn't so the night lords are sent in and the night lord talks about how he's just blasting civilians with a bolter until he runs out of ammo and then he takes out his chain blade and he's just sawing through these civilians until his chain blade is full of meat and he can't do it anymore so at this point he's just ripping apart civilians and the imperial fists are like what the fuck are you doing and he's like well i wouldn't have to do this if it wasn't for you guys not doing your job and that's how the Night Lords are. Their Primarch was a dark and twisted and abused person, and they take on an element of that. Now, mm. there's all these different Primarchs. They're all different, whatever. 
Now, one of the emperor's children, Horus, gets corrupted by chaos. And Horus sees this, the chaos tells him, your dad's going to lead uh, civilization the wrong way. We're endless power. You should pray to us and you should overthrow your dad. And Horus convinces half of these legions to go against their father. Oh, wow. Jeez. And Horus... Is it straight up an eight and eight? So there are, I believe, ten good legions and then nine bad legions. And one of the bad legions has two primarchs. I think that's why there's... Tw- I think there's 20 sons and 19 legions. Okay. Sure. So <laughs> the Horus heresy happens. Brother against brother. War is breaking out. And finally, the showdown. Horus stabs the emperor of mankind... The Emperor of Mankind kills Horus, and I think he kills Horus. I haven't read up on all of 30,000. Like, I'm still not caught up on it. But I mean, that's a lot. It's a lot of lore. Yes. The Emperor gets fatally stabbed. He gets essentially, like, in a dormant state, strapped to a life support chair. He can't talk. He's just connected to the warp, which is like the afterlife where the chaos gods are, kind of. He's a beacon for humanity in the warp. He's essentially like a fifth god. Like, wouldn't it be better for him to die? Because couldn't he then be reborn? So after all of history, no one knows that at this point, I mean, it's a 10,000 year war, right? And history has forgotten that he is a perpetual. Mm. No one knows that he's a perpetual except himself. So because you have to also remember the emperor of mankind has been alive for so long. I don't even remember if he knows he's a perpetual anymore Mm. because he, I mean, if you've lived 50,000, 60,000 years, a detail like that, like it might be forgotten. So no one knows this. No one knows he's a perpetual. He goes into essentially a permanent coma. The war breaks out. The good guys win. They fight off the rest of the legions. The other legions disperse throughout the galaxy. They go pray to their chaos gods. They break up into legions instead of chapters like the rest of the space marines. Some of the primarchs die. A lot of the primarchs go missing. They're like, they're fucking gone. They're, They're gone off. No one knows where they are. And a humanity has to essentially go on without the emperor. They have him and he's serving as a, a beacon in the warp, which the warp is like the immaterium that exists in the afterlife, but also where your souls go. But for most people, their souls go to be eternally tormented in the warp where the chaos gods are. Mm. But the emperor serves as a beacon because they don't have like light speed travel. They go through the warp. Gotcha. So like okay. when they go through the warp, and now they at least have the emperor that can kind of help them. Like it's a guiding beak. It's like think of the emperor as a lighthouse at this point. So all of this is important because you now understand like this is all what's led up to the 41st millennium. And which is where Bolt Gun takes place. Which is where Bolt Gun takes place. Once again, this is the 30 minute setup. To I mean, the story. understanding Warhammer at least. I mean, I feel like I gone at least now I have a baseline understanding of it. So I'm, I'm very, yeah. very happy that you're able to provide that. It's a lot, though. And that's a lot of details. Yes. So with Bolt Gun, you are a space marine. So you're one of these sons mm-hmm. of the Primarch of the Ultramarines. So the Ultramarines are the, they're the poster boys of 40K. They wear blue armor. They've got gold trim. Mm-hmm. They've got the Omega symbol. And their Primarch is Robot Guliman, who is the tactical war general who in the lore just recently came back. Like he was missing and then he came back. He was in, he was like in a coma sort of too. He comes back and his dad is essentially dead and he's like, fuck, I have to lead humanity now. So he's a very stressed out graying man <laughs> who is now leading the ultramarines. Are, they're like Roman themed. Okay. Gotcha. So okay. That makes like a lot of sense. I, I can see the visual similarity. Okay. Yeah. There's a, the Omega symbol and then there's one power up 
in the game that's like uh one of these like bands of leaves that you see like the okay, Romans yeah, wear. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that is what the champions of the Ultramarines wear. They have this like golden like a leaf. Golden it's like a crown like, sort of. Yeah, yeah. So Bolt Gun takes place as an Ultramarine. You're sent to this planet. Well, you are an Ultramarine. Yes, okay. you are an Ultramarine. You're also a veteran. So that's an important aspect is um, if you look on the cover of Bolt Gun, which is a callback to original Doom, the Space Marine you'll see has a white helmet. That means that he's a veteran of the Ultramarines. And uh, you can see his helmet goes out into the beak, like that original. Okay, yeah, 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 I do see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like a normal, how most of the Space Marines look now, I'll show you a picture. This is a normal Primaris Space Marine. So this is a Primaris Space Marine, which is like the newest type of Space Marines of the Ultramarines. And they don't have that beaked helmet. Gotcha, yeah, it's very Uh, much like Iron Man, like kind of flat. Yes. So you're a veteran, you're sent down, and they're like, essentially what happened in Space Marine, the first one, Really simple. There was a power source, and the chaos was trying to get a hold of the power source. Uh, Commander Titus, which is an ultramarine, goes there, stops chaos, gets this power source back. But it seems that there was a couple fragments of it. And this game, Bolt Gun, is you're going back on this planet to take down some chaos, get that fragment out of the hands of chaos because it's a very powerful energy source. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's the build up to what. Bolt gun is and really bolt gun story is super simple. Like at the end of the day, yeah, like, it's, it doesn't it's very simple. You're kind of just moving through it. Yep, you're there. You're gonna go. Oh, and at the beginning, the first cutscene, I assume you watch. I you know, I don't remember a cutscene, but I did I mean Okay. So there's an initial cutscene. Maybe I just kind of talked... skate past it. Yeah. You talk to an inquisitor. Inquisitors are just like I kind of refer to them as like CIA agents, where they're like normal humans, but they're like super high up intelligence in the Imperium of Man. Mm-hmm. And in Bolt Gun, you're essentially having an Inquisitor who's telling you like, okay, go out and do this. And every like chapter, you kind of get a cutscene where she talks to you and like what's going on and the next area you're moving to because mm-hmm. it's broken up into three chapters. Yeah, I think I pretty much ignored that completely. But <laughs> Okay, well, it does exist. Mm-hmm. You get a little bit of background of what's going on. She talks to you. So yeah, where do we go from here with Warhammer? I have explained Warhammer enough that you understand what's going on. Explain the basic premise of Bolt Gun. Yeah, let's just talk a little bit more about the game. You know, maybe just like your experience going through it. I mean, I'll kind of just say, I do have a couple questions. Like when I was yeah. playing through it, like first off, it's just fun to use the guns. Like they feel really oh, yeah. good. Like oh, the yeah. first gun you get is the bolt gun and it just like mm-hmm. it's super fast. Like it, it almost kind of looks like you are shooting like nails it does kind of look yeah. like that in a very like pixelated way. The second yep. gun you get is a shotgun. And then the third gun you get, which also like the shotgun, it's a very good contrast to like a very, you know, fast paced gun that shoots, shoots really fast. It's so fun. Like, honestly, like the bullet gun is not super powerful, at least at the point where I'm at, but I'm still using it because it's just, it sounds cool. It feels cool. And you're just kind of, you know, moving through these corridors. I guess you're killing demons and cultists, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. So you're kind of just moving through, shooting them. And then like when you get the shotgun, it's really cool because it's, I think it's only got like, is it like a two barrel shotgun or something like that? Maybe it's got a couple more bullets in it, but you kind of just, it's very powerful. But like, if you miss, you know, it, it takes time for you to, you know, to mm-hmm. shoot it again. And then the third gun you get is pulse gun. The, uh, the plasma, plasma gun. Plasma gun. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. It kind of just shoots this like yeah. ball of plasma. It kind of just like explodes enemies. Yep. I just got that and I was having a fun time with that. Now, are there four guns or are there more? Exactly. I think there's eight weapons. Total. Okay. 
And a fun little lore fact that plays into the game's mechanics too is each gun has a strength level. I don't know if you noticed that. There's a little STR and a number next to the weapon. Did you see that? I saw the number, but I guess I kind of just like, I didn't know what it meant. So I yeah. kind of my so, glazed over it. In regards to like the bolt gun, the bolt gun has STR, I want to say three. And that actually goes back to an old edition of Warhammer, where that's how they measure the weapons in the tabletop game, is they have strength levels. And the strength levels kind of help determine how much damage they can do to models. Mm -hmm. But in Bolt Gun, the strength levels are relevant because a cultist is like strength level one. So the Bolt Gun... Very effective. Like, because you... Yeah, so like the bolt gun is actually good throughout the entire game for clearing out like small enemies, low level enemies because yeah. the game will show you if when you hover over them, there's a health bar and then there's a little thing next to them. They'll say STR and it'll show an arrow down or an arrow up. Mm -hmm. It'll be green or red. If Wait, it's this green, is over the enemies? Doing, yeah, so oh, there's a health bar that pops that. up. Yeah, yeah, it's at the top of the screen, I think, whenever you're like focusing on an enemy. And it'll show a little health bar at the top and it'll say like cultist and then it'll say STR two. And then if you have a bolt gun out, it'll show a green arrow next to it. Cause it's like, Hey, you're STR three. Oh, you're going to do more damage. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I mean, it really kind of does harken back to the board game elements of it. That's exactly. awesome that they have yeah. that in there. Like that's Which, a cool that's little something element. That, like 95% of people will never know unless they're a super nerd. And that's one reason that like, I love it. But it's also mechanically important. Yeah, where like yeah. the bolt gun later in the game, there are enemies that are STR six. The bolt gun doesn't do shit against them because they're STR six. Mm -hmm. And the game does this like super interesting thing that I haven't really seen a lot of boomer shooters do or any shooters at all is there's eight guns in the game. Mm -hmm. But there are some guns that are similar to other guns. So like, for example, you talked about the shotgun. The shotgun, I believe, has maybe six rounds in it. Yeah. But it's SCR like two or three. It's very low. But it serves as a great way to clear out the cultists mm -hmm. and a great way to clear out the little... I don't know if you've seen the Nurglings yet. They're the little green guys that are like this tall. I have. I have encountered a couple of yeah. those. Yeah. So they were very annoying. Uh, the annoying. first time I encountered yes. them, I was like, oh, crap. I'm not... I'm, just like just the variance in the enemies really threw me off. But the shotgun, you whip that bad boy out, one pellet hits a nurgling, he explodes like a bag of meat. Mm -hmm. So it's like the shotgun's super good against them. But the bolt gun is not necessarily you have to like pretty much do like half a clip into them. No, no, no. The little nurglings. You can still hit them. If you hit them once with the bolt gun, they pop. Oh, I didn't even, didn't even realize that. Maybe I'm thinking of something yeah. else. Oh, I didn't think it. Well, thinking. there's also the there's also the toads. I there's was also the toads, the toads that shoot the tongue out That's that damage you. That's the one I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah, because they have higher strength. But, like, for the shotgun, it's really good against, like, low-tier mobs. I think you've seen a Chaos Space Marine at this point, right? They're black and gold. Yes. And they have... Yeah, they have bolters, too. Okay. So, if you shoot a shotgun against them, it's not very effective. Later, you get the Melta. Now, the Melta is a famous weapon in Warhammer. It's a gun that acts sort of like a shotgun and just sh shoots a cone of hyper, like, super hot, like, just heat okay. or particles. And in the lore, it punches holes through tanks. Oh, like that's wow. the job Jeez. of the Melta. That's cool. Now, the Melta in the game, you only get a couple shots. I think it has like 40 shots, but each shot takes up five shots. Yeah. So yeah. I think at most you get like, I don't remember exactly what it is. But you can really only, only use it like, like a couple times in a run. Yeah. So you're never going to use that against cultists and like nurglings because it's a waste of ammo. However, when you go up against a Chaos Space Marine and you blast him with this Melta, if you're close enough, he just instantly dies. He just... That's gives. awesome. Just, and it's, it's strength level 7. It's like a very high weapon. The yeah, same taking those enemies out, it's really hard. Like I'm like, I'll throw like my grenades at them, clip after clip. And yeah. 
that's another thing too is the grenades i don't know if you realize but it also takes it takes time and you're kind of like trying to speed through it so you kind of don't always want to do that have you seen that there's actually two different grenades did you realize that i thought i saw something but i didn't quite pick up on it yeah so that also harkens back to the game the tabletop game there's two types of grenades in warhammer well like two main types there's frag grenades which is a normal frag grenade in a video game Mm -hmm. you throw it it blows up deals fragmentation damage and a blast there's the circle that Mm -hmm. it shows in the game there's also what are called crack grenades k-r-a-k crack grenades are a single target grenade meant to just punch through armor so the crack grenades Mm. if you throw it at a cast space marine it'll just instantly kill him but a frag grenade will only do some damage you can only have one equipped at a time though right so you have no you can toggle with q Q toggles mm. between the grenades. Okay, I'll have to look. I'm not playing it on mouse and keyboard, so I'll have to look. Oh, right, right. You're playing on Steam, Steam Deck, Deck, right? Very, it's very, <laughs> I played on my couch in handheld. It was very, probably yeah. a very different experience. Because I was like trying to get like yeah. a little sweaty and I'm like, I'm like, oh, it's kind of like I'm driving a car in traffic with this little <laughs> Steam Deck. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a button for it. I don't know what it would be on Steam Deck. But yeah, you can switch between those grenades and use them for when it makes sense. Yeah, I actually, you know, on the Steam Deck, one of the things that I really like about it is it has back paddles. And this with Steam OS, they make it very easy to kind of just map them. And I, yeah. I mapped like two of the back paddles to the bumpers. And I was kind oh, of just cool. running through. Yeah. So like the melee and the grenade throw are like tied to the bumpers. Yeah. So I personally mapped them to that and I... I found that really fun and enjoyable. Yeah. So that answers weapons. Yes. Like we're talking about weapons and there's a lot of weapons, by the way, there's eight. What are some of your favorites and some of your, like what has like just like a weapon based scenario that kind of like led you to an epic moment? Okay. So on the extreme side, the last weapon you get is the grav cannon. Okay. Okay. And the grav cannon is just a continuous green beam that causes a vacuum essentially. And like in the lore, essentially it turns gravity against whoever you're shooting it at. Gotcha. So, like, have you seen a Terminator in the game yet? Have you? I don't... It's like a Space Marine, but wider, and they have a minigun usually. No, I have not seen. I've not seen. That. Okay. So, Terminators are, like, super Space Marines, essentially. Mm-hmm. And the Grav Cannon, once you get it, you shoot it at a Terminator, and it literally is like, me crushes them. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and it's awesome. I mean, and, like, you shoot it as a beam, and it, like, if there's enemies in the way, like cultists and, like, nerglings, it's just going to go like through all of them they're all just exploding in the gibbs hit the guy and it's like an endless beam it's just infinite range like you're gonna fucking crush this guy Mm -hmm. super fun like once you get the grav cannon so fun but before then something that i actually realized and i don't know if you've seen it yet is in each level there's secrets Mm -hmm. i assume you know that there's secrets they'll say like secret found yeah i have gotten a couple of those have you seen the uh green power up it's like a green gear and there's a little like spirit flying around it a little like skull or something i don't know if i've seen that one okay so that is the omnisaya's blessing lore wise there's a cult that's with the imperium of man called the cult mechanicus and they're like good guys There's really no good guys in Warhammer from what the community (laughs) says, but they're like good guys, but they're like obsessed with you're on a manufactorium in bolt gun, which means you're like in a giant cathedral factory. Right. Yes. yes. Because it does kind of have a lot of it has. Man, it's really interesting, like the just the setting of it, because it kind of feels like sometimes you feel like you're in a church and sometimes you feel like you're in. Yes. Just like a manufacturing plant. Since the emperor's death, humanity has gotten superstitious. So like they don't see the emperor as like a king like he was they or an emperor. They see him as the emperor god, the god emperor 
of mankind and mm. they but he's not a god he didn't he never wanted to be a god he hated religion but since his death all these people pray to him and like in that picture i sent you the last one of the space marine mm-hmm. you can see that red those red seals that are hanging off him with the parchment yes those are purity seals so you see those in the game and you'll see all this religious it kind, symbolism it almost kind of looks like a maker's mark like a wax seal yes that's exactly what it is and it has that has like religious writings on it because essentially the cult mechanicus have these giant factories, these planets that are factories, and they make weapons and tanks. They make everything for the Imperium of Man. Mm-hmm. But they also believe in the machine god. They believe that the Emperor of Mankind is part of this machine god. And they believe that all machines have spirits. And to have a machine operate properly, you need to do the right prayers. You need to do the right rituals. Use the oil, the holy oils. Everything has to be blessed and consecrated. And this is an entire element. Like, this is at the core of 40K's, like grim dark future is that humanity is so superstitious but also like there might be machine gods and machine spirits and all these things we don't really know it's it's Mm -hmm. left up to the reader to interpret that yeah totally oh anyways they call the machine god the omnissiah the cult mechanicus Mm -hmm. they're obsessed with machines they make everything they replace all their like limbs with robotics the omnissiah's blessing is now this upgrade that you get and you can, whatever weapon you have out, you pick up the Omnissiah's Blessing, it will upgrade that weapon for that level. Oh. I didn't understand what was happening at first. Because it if doesn't tell If I run into that, you. that's good to know. Now, it matters because each weapon does something different. It doesn't just increase a stat. Like, if you pick it up for the bolt gun, it'll make the strength go up one level and it'll do a little... I've, it does, like, more damage and some other things. Mm-hmm. But it does different things for each weapon. So something that was a great moment was when I realized that... Okay, so the plasma gun, right? Mm-hmm. When I was using the plasma gun, I was shooting at like just single shots. I wasn't holding it down. I yeah, you... I've I've only been shooting at single shots. Okay. So single shots, it's really like it has pretty a pretty slow fire rate. Like mm-hmm. doosh, doosh, doosh. But if you hold it down, it'll go a little bit faster, like doosh, 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 doosh. Mm. But after a certain amount of shots, it overheats. And if you fire after the overheating, it damages you. Which is how it works in the tabletop. You can overheat your plasma weapons, do more damage, but they have a chance if you roll like like ones on a D6 Mm. to damage you. Okay. So the Omnissiah's Blessing makes it so the plasma gun can't overheat. So you get it. The Omnissiah's Blessing, you can now, when you fire, the longer you hold it down, the faster it shoots. Oh, man. And it's so good because you realize like, holy shit, this is like strength level six or seven. Now it can't overheat. It you just keep like, holding it down. Yeah, and you just go, and it just keeps going faster and faster and faster until so you have to reload the gun. It's so awesome. And, and like I think most people probably never realize that that's a mechanic because the game doesn't tell you. You know, It's mm-hmm. just an element of, of the game or whatever. But the plasma gun I love. Like I always loved how it looks canonically. I love mm-hmm. the idea of shooting this big superheated glob of plasma. And just it's really cool. It's really things. awesome. Yeah. So I'm glad I got to the point to where I got that because I was kind of feeling, yeah. I was like, okay, like I got the fast gun, I got the shotgun. And then yeah. when I got the plasma gun, I was like, okay, yeah, okay, I, I get this thing. This is fun. And I think they did a good job with the bolter, as you said, making it feel like viscerally satisfying. Mm-hmm. Like the animations, the style, the sound, the feel, yeah. like it just, it feels very good to shoot that. Like when you have and, a shooter, you got to have that. And especially yeah. like one that's very stylized like this one, which it's very pixelated and I, like the style of it is, it all adds to the experience. I tweeted about it and I saw you liked my tweet. Is like <laughs> the Bolter shoots mini rockets. Like canonically, it's shooting rockets, little tiny rockets that are impaling and then exploding. And 
It feels like that when you shoot a person. Mm -hmm. When you shoot a cultist, one shot, they'll just go, and that's how it would work in real life if you shot someone with a mini rocket. Mm -hmm. But when you shoot like a space marine who has this like heavy armor, of course, like it's going to take a while to break through all that armor to really cause some damage. And even once you get underneath them, they're superhumans. They have hard skin. They have like reinforced bones. They have multiple organs. Mm -hmm. Like. They're not humans. The same with demons. You know, you fire them at the demons. It might take a while because they're demons. They can go on with blood loss or whatever. Yeah. A bolter feels good. The last weapon I'd say in that list is, I think the fourth weapon or the fifth weapon you get is the heavy bolter. So the heavy okay. bolter is like a bolter. I saw that in the promotional material, I yeah, think. Yeah, but you hold it like this. And they did a good job at like differentiating them. I think eventually the heavy bolter is not super useful but when you first get it and for the middle of the game it's pretty good unlike the bolter you can't just like shoot it immediately and run around with it the heavy bolter oh, does it have like a charge up yeah so you hold it and then it goes shunk, and then like there's a slow animation of you picking it up mm. and then you fire it and it's a slower fire rate but it, it has a higher strength level and it you don't have to reload with it it just has like 300 rounds so oh, you're like and it's it's pretty fun to use it's super satisfying it's got that very clunky like you've got a big machine gun, you know, like mm-hmm. a minigun almost. Now, so, I do have a, a quick question that it yeah, just yeah. kind of came to me. When you're going through these levels, mm-hmm. the way I was kind of playing is I was killing everyone. Do you have yeah. to kill everyone to make it through? Or can you like, because no. I got to this one part where I was like, I just skipped this whole area. And I was like, I kind of want to keep going. But then I was like, I don't really know if I'm going to miss something. So I like went kind of from behind and kind of like got everybody and then came back. But I was like, damn, like kind of almost just wish i would have just kept going yeah you could have at the end like that's why there's a kill percentage you know like you could just like someone might want to go through and 100 percent kill every enemy or you can leave them Mm -hmm. yeah now i guess another question that i maybe i don't know for me personally what i i mean obviously this is my own expectations i'm bringing Mm -hmm. this into the game at the point where i was at i felt like it was going a little slow like your movement like you're this guy you've got a lot of armor is there ever a movement ability? Like, do you ever get like faster movement or like a dash or now, something like that? I'm not trying to sound facetious here, but you do know you have a sprint, right? I do. Yes, I do have a sprint. Okay. I was so, kind of using it, but I don't know. A it, lot of people will go in the settings and just keep auto sprint on. So you can oh. like a lot of these games are played. Original Doom, there's a walk, but almost everyone like in original Doom, if you're playing it on an Xbox controller, you would just hold left trigger and you'd sprint. Most people I knew would just always be holding left trigger. Most of these games have a normal walking animation, but there's the sprint and in the settings, there's actually just always sprint. And then when you do that, yeah, did you do that for your playthrough? I don't think so, but I think most of the time I was holding shift down, which is the sprint (laughs) button on PC. Also, because are you familiar with the concept of bunny hopping? Is that where you're just kind of like jumping? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're kind of just endlessly hopping. Mm -hmm. That's something that I also did in the game a lot where I'd hold shift and then I was hitting space, which is the jump button. And I was kind of like gliding around. Yeah, that's fun to do because when you jump, you can really get the drop on somebody from like a higher angle. I was kind of doing that just kind of naturally. Yeah, yeah. Um, So no to your question, but... Oh, that's too bad. (laughs) I think it does a good enough job to feel quick enough once you get down the Mm -hmm. movement nuances it's not as quick as some other games doom eternal has like a grappling hook and has a dash and Mm -hmm. very very like very movement focused this one 
little I less. I mean, it is kind of, you know, it's kind of harkening back to a retro style. Like, it is very much Correct. like a retro style. So, yeah. I mean, I'm on par with to, you know, to keep going with that. Just like is, I mean, that's yeah. in line with what the game is. But I was just, I was kind of hoping, I was like, it would have been cool if I could maybe move a little faster, you yeah. know, or, or something. Um, just because I personally like games like that. Oh, so. you also have... There's the dash. Oh, yeah, like the go forward. The forward dash. Yeah, yeah. Which I never use. I like. You know, I didn't really use that all that much, too. I mean, I actually, that is mapped to one of my bumpers. And I was I the, was using it for a little bit, but yeah. you really only go forward. And I didn't, I guess maybe I'll, maybe I'll experiment more with that. Also, you're, when you take your chain blade out, when you're pointing at someone, like you probably notice it slows down time. I did not notice that. Yeah. I've only been kind of using it as like a melee, like a tap. And I wasn't really finding it. No, here. So yeah, you, you can wanna, hold it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to uh-huh. spam it, actually. I think you spam it. So, okay. like, at least on PC, it says, like, keep pressing V because it's like a chainsaw, right? So you hit them and then you're supposed to keep hitting it and then, like, saw oh, through them. Oh, okay. Yeah, they, that and was then, lost on me because I, I haven't really been using it at all. Yeah. It's not as good as I would want it to. It didn't feel amazing. It felt okay. The thing that it's useful for is. Like, let's say there's an enemy, like, across from you. You can take it out, aim at them, and your character will kind of magnetize to them, and time will slow down. So you can kind of use it as, like, a movement thing, where, like, you're jumping in the air, and you turn, you see him, and you go, and you kind of, like, move towards... You kind of do a little bit of a dash, like an auto lock. Yeah. So it's kind of useful for that utility. I was really only using it while I was... Like, if I needed to reload and I was, like, close up to somebody, that's kind of really all I was using it for. But Melee is a gripe I have with this game. Melee is a gripe that I have with this one. Absolutely. Do you mind saying more about that? Yeah. So Space Marine, which is the third-person game that I was talking about before, Space Marine does an excellent job at making you feel like a Space Marine. In the tabletop, Space Marines are good at melee and they're good at shooting. Because in the tabletop, you do both. There's fighting and there's shooting. And there's different phases for that. And Space Marines are, you get less of them, but they're good at both. The game Space Marine makes you feel like, at points, it almost feels like a Dark Souls-like game. Where you're fighting off these orcs are coming at you. These space orcs, right? And you're (laughs) using your chain blade in one hand. The beginning of the game in Space Marine, you land on this orc ship. And you take off your jump pack. And in one hand, you have a bolt pistol. In the other hand, you have this chain blade. And you can literally, like, shooting with one hand, like, one trigger shooting, and the other trigger is melee. There's, like, stuns you can do. So, like, one's coming up. You stun him. You can shoot him in the head or use your chain blade and do, like, combos and kind mm-hmm. of slice them. And to me, that feels like being a space marine. Yeah, it's totally- In bolt gun, the emphasis is the bolt gun, which, well, to be fair, yeah, it's, it's in the it, name. It's in the name. But I would they also, nailed it. I would nailed like the if the game gun. was called Bolt Gun slash Chain Blade, because I wanted the Chain Blade to mm. feel visceral. I wanted to be able to get in someone's face and really just chop them off, maybe do a quicker slice. I don't know. Something yeah, to really get Yeah, because you know, I mean, and that's like one of the iconic weapons of the franchise, is it not? Yes. Yeah. Now, however, I'm going to say this. I have seen the promotional material for the upcoming Warhammer game. Space Marine 2? Yes. It looks like that one, there is more of an emphasis on the melee combat. Oh, yeah. And it looks like more than the first game. It looks like they've taken cues from, like, Dark Souls, and they have, like, a parry system now. Yeah. And a repose system, which... So excited. Does that come out later this year? (sighs) Supposedly, right? Supposedly. So, it says 2023, but Warhammer has their own game, like, game announcement festival called Skulls. 
And at Skulls, they only showed like a minute clip of combat. So everyone's kind of like... You might need some guys, more time to, to bake. If you guys need to delay this, please delay this. We've waited 10 years for a sequel to Space Marine. Let's make sure it's a good one. Yeah. But yeah, I wish Bolt Gun did a better job at that. But I'm going to be honest, that's also kind of a limitation of first person, especially a retro yeah. first person game. Mm-hmm. Is They never had to make... Like the original Doom, you had your fist, which you never used, and a chainsaw, which you almost never used because it just wasn't good. Mm-hmm. Like it just went... Mm, and did one <laughs> damage per second. It wasn't great. And it, it kind of goes against like what you're trying to do in that game, which is just like stay in the flow, move through yes. it. Yes. which the newer doom games doom 2016 and doom eternal they have like perfected the first person shooting flow experience like they really did doom 2016 was great doom eternal was blew my fucking mind like doom eternal (laughs) is the dark souls of first person shooters like how they decided to balance that was that like you have a melee but your chainsaw is like a a power weapon that like kind of has like fill-ups and the chainsaw serves as like an auto kill for like a normal enemy, it takes one bar. For a bigger enemy, two bars. For a biggest enemy, three bars. And when you chainsaw someone, it's just an animation, a really quick animation where you cut through them, mm-hmm. and then the chainsaw kill makes them drop ammo. So like oh, it so serves that's the as, only way to get ammo? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's so, a clever idea. That's the thing that I was going to talk about too. Another big gripe, if you're cool to move on, yeah, absolutely. that I have with Bolt Gun, yeah. is that Bolt Gun uses the retro FPS HP system, which is... HP, armor. You find them, you pick Mm -hmm. them up, that's it. Enemies might drop a little bit. I don't think it works for this game. I mean, you know, the genre has moved on. Game development has come a long way. And that's, you know, it's really tough when, you know, something is very clearly inspired by a certain type of genre. You know, how do you improve that when you make a new game? You know, that's one of the biggest challenges of it. So this is a little bit of history here relating to this mechanic that I think is really interesting and a little bit speculation on my part. Mm-hmm. But, okay, right now in the game, in Bolt Gun, you get HP and you get Contempt, and Contempt is your armor. Which, by the way, the idea that Contempt is your armor is fucking hilarious. Because there's a line in one of the books where a Space Marine goes like, Hatred is my armor. Contempt is my armor. The idea that, like, I'm so fucking pissed off at my enemy that I'm just going to shrug off this bullet, you know? Yeah, that's, that's the idea. Yeah, is just like, flex through it, you know? It'll exactly. bounce right off. Your your pure (laughs) hatred and zealotry for the enemy. Anyways, it probably works on like the easier difficulties. I was playing on Exterminatus. I was playing on the hardest difficulty. And there should be uh, damage indicators in games that let you know like how much damage you're taking. Bolt Gun like gives you a little bit of a bleeding indicator. When you're really low. (laughs) Yes. But it's like if you get hit by like one bolt round versus getting hit by like some big round it just shows like a quick flash and that's it it's yeah, not like i, I it's did very run into a, like a point where i was like okay i'm fine and then it's like oh i am in the span of like three seconds i'm very yes. much not fine yes i gotta hide <laughs> I and that's move. how like in exterminatus it's a huge issue where like an en- some of the bosses or the harder enemies will hit you and it will literally delete all your like you'll have 200 armor and it'll all go away in one shot and you like you don't, don't, even, realize you don't even realize because it, it was just so there was no visual cues there was no audio cues it didn't do a good job at telling you like hey you took a ton of damage there you took a shit ton of damage so that's a problem especially because having a limited hp and armor system mm-hmm. was a thing back in the day but space marine in 2011 you know how you get hp in that game mm. 
you execute enemies. So oh, that's cool. you stun enemies, you execute them. So you have a shield, you have a shield like in Fortnite or Halo, like a recharging shield, mm-hmm. and then you have a health bar. And the health bar, once it goes down, the only way to refill it is killing an enemy with an execution. Gotcha. You stun them, there's a specific little indicator, a skull, like, hey, you can execute him. Execute him, heal up. Doom 2016 did the same thing with its glory kills. I think Doom 2016 took the mechanic from Space Marine 2011. They took this mechanic from Space Marine, made Doom 2016, then years later, Bolt Gun is inspired by like Doom and Doom 2016, original Doom and Doom 2016. You think it could have really used a mechanic like that? They could have used the mechanic that Space Marine had made and Doom took. Because here's the thing. In Doom 2016, and and let's go with Doom Eternal. Mm -hmm. Doom Eternal, you have armor, you have health, you have ammo. All those things, you don't just pick up off the ground. When you want armor, you've got this flamethrower that you press a button, comes out, lights enemies on fire. It doesn't kill them usually, but it stuns them. And this is and in, then if which, you, which game is this in? Doom Eternal. Doom Eternal, gotcha. When you light an enemy on fire and then you kill them, they drop armor. Okay. Which is like, great. When you need ammo, you chainsaw them, you get ammo. When you need health, you... Okay, so it kind of like what you you need is can dictate how you play. Yes, it's not just like you have weapons that all do damage. It's you have tools that you can utilize to progress. Yeah, to like kind of change a situation, you know, for your advantage, whatever you need in that situation. Are you familiar with the concept of like being soft capped in a game? No, I haven't actually haven't heard that before. Okay, so like being soft capped is like or soft locked. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Soft locked. So like being Mm -hmm. soft locked. Yeah, happens a lot in space marine because you may get to the point where you've in it because there's arenas right there's these arenas purge the heretics you may get to the point where you've used up all the shields and all the armor and all the health in that area and you might be fucked like you may only have 20 health left one bullet's gonna kill you you can't do anything but in doom eternal no matter how low you get you can fight your way back to full health i can ignite these guys run over kill them get the armor go to this guy chainsaw him get my ammo back go to this guy glory kill him get full health they figured that out because that all takes skill knowing when to use each ability Mm -hmm. and how to execute it and like what you need that takes an immense amount of skill yeah in bolt gun it's really kind of just like drops on the map and, and you can really find yourself needing something and it's not around and like in bolt gun I don't know how it is on the easier difficulties, but in Exterminatus, even a cultist with a plasma gun, like the plasma gun does a fuck ton of damage. So like I'll come around the corner and a cultist will go, oh, and shoot me at the plasma gun. You don't know if they miss or not. There's no indicator. And it'll go, boop. It'll just delete. It'll just delete my armor, delete my health. And the plasma weapons have AOE splash. So if they miss you, they might hit the wall and still damage you. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, well... There's half my health, and I've already used up all the health and shields. And sure, maybe that's a skill issue, but also, like, when you have so many enemies... And you have so like, much going on, like, it's exactly. very visually stimulating. It would be nice to have that little indicator. You know, I will say, I will give this... I didn't finish this game, I didn't love it, but mm-hmm. Returnal, they really did a good job with those visual cues. I heard good things about Returnal. I did like it. I mean, I eventually just kind of... I just didn't want to put the time into, into yeah. completing it, which happens but they really did a good job with that and like the visual cues it is also it is also third person so that does you know yeah have an impact but do you have anything more to say on bolt gun or would you like to take a quick break let me take a look here we talked about because i've been thinking about this a lot lately after mm-hmm. playing bolt gun i've been keeping my media list which i implore you to do too i'm doing it i'm keeping i'm keeping a list of every piece of media i consume from comics to 
to movies yes. to video games. Yes. So, Bolt Gun, let me bring up my list because I can tell you what I rated it. And so, this is kind of just a thing we're doing. Yeah. And it's just out of five, one of five. So, I rated Bolt Gun a 3.5. Oh, so, wow. You were very critical of this, even though you liked it. Wow. Okay. I rated original Space Marine a four because I just played Space Marine like a month ago. I think Bolt Gun, it's unfortunate that Bolt Gun is one of the best warhammer games it really is because there's a lot of warhammer games and there's only a small chunk of warhammer games that are good okay (laughs) and there's an even smaller chunk of warhammer games that are good that don't require you to love warhammer to be worth playing okay bulk gun serves as a great introduction to like not necessarily the story of Warhammer, but just the vibe, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, totally. you get to see you what a Space of, Marine's like. Yeah. You, you get to see... There's a lot of cultists. There's demons. You gotta kill the them. The cultists and the demons. And it's fun. It's viscerally fun. It is a fun game. However, it's also a genre that I've played... I've played all of them. Like, I play, like, every <laughs> boomer shooter that comes out. I know these, this genre inside and out. And... It lacks in a lot of ways, and I expected that, though. When mm-hmm. I looked, this um studio has never made a boomer shooter before. They're a tiny indie studio. I guess it's also worth mentioning that it's a $20 game. Like, it's not a full, it's not yes, a full price game. Yes, it's also a $20 game. It's but a as if you, relatively as you short remember, experience. you watched my 2022 reviews, and I talked about Coltic, and you talked mm-hmm. about your, I think you said, you're like, oh, Coltic looks really good. That one, yes, Coltic, that's a very interesting game. I haven't played it, but like visually, that one's really cool looking as well. Coltic is made by one guy. Mm-hmm. I follow him on Twitter. I've talked to him on Twitter. Super nice guy. Coltic is a much better game than than Bolt Gun for a boomer shooter. Like mechanically, he understands this genre so well. He understands how to make a gun feel mm-hmm. as it should. He knows how to make enemies and difficulty feel fair. He knows how to do like, because he went with the classical HP system, but for some reason, it just, the pacing of that game lends itself to, there's not arenas in that game the same way there is in this game. There's mm-hmm. like more open areas. And Coltic, I would probably give Coltic a near five. Like it's it's the mm-hmm. best boomer shooter. It's better than original Doom. It's better than almost I any love it when, when, you know, somebody like they're, they're trying to make just their own game based on something and they do it better than the original. Yeah. Coltic is fantastic, but... To be fair to Bolt Gun, Bolt Gun did better than I expected. I expected a little studio that has never made a boomer. I expected it to be fine, but not feel like I expected not to get that visceral feeling of satisfaction. But that's the part they nailed. Mm-hmm. The part that they nailed is shooting a gun and watching a guy explode. Yeah, that, that part is, is really fun. And into like a pixelated fantastic. mess of blood. Like very, very Exactly, fun. yeah. Yeah, you're this retro aesthetic. They really nailed it. At the end of the game, this is kind of a spoiler. You know, I I don't know if I'll ever get to the end. Um, It it doesn't really matter, even if you do. (laughs) They show... So in this game, there's only... I talk about the four Chaos Gods. There's only two Chaos Gods, like, minions in this game. Which is uh, Finch with his uh, legion of, like, lizard... Not lizard, uh, bird-like. So the pink horror and the blue horrors, Mm -hmm. which are those... You've probably seen them, I think. They're like demons. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm just calling them demons. They they are demons, yeah. And you kill the pink horrors, and Mm -hmm. then they split into two blue horrors. Mm -hmm. And then there's Nurgle, who has the plague toads and the Nurglings and all the little green. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. But that leaves Slanesh and Korn. At the very end of the game, there's a shadow of one of Korn's demons. Like, you Mm. see the outline of his demon. And I was like, man, if it gets a DLC, 
and they upgrade some of this. They kind of smooth some of the stuff out and they bring in Korn as a third chaos god. I'd probably give that if they improved some of these things as a sequel or even like a, an expanded it, yeah. DLC. Mm-hmm. I'd probably give it a four or 4.5. Like it could get there. Yeah. And it's got the bones for it. But for a $20 game, like you said, it's good. It's great. I like it. Like yeah. I'm satisfied. I played it. Took me like nine hours to beat the game mm-hmm. for twenty bucks. That's a steal. Yeah, that's that's, that's fun. A steal. And you know, I think that I mean, it's the beginning of summer. It's really not necessarily the vibe I was personally looking for at this, <laughs> at this time of uh, you know, the end of spring. But I'm I'm absolutely gonna pick this game back up. You know, once it's spooky season in October, oh, yeah. and I may even you know completely restart it. But I've had a really fun time with it so far. So there's a couple games that we could bring up. That are not related to Warhammer. Because we talked about Space Marine. I really wanted to get Space Marine in here because I think it's great. Mm-hmm. I would recommend maybe for you at some point to play Space Marine. It's going to play I might great. play the sequel. I might be more interested in the sequel. So Space Marine 1 is pretty... Like I feel like you can get it cheap on a dubious means like a G2A <laughs> and stuff. Mm-hmm. You can get it for like five bucks or something. It would play great on the Steam Deck and it holds up. But... To be fair, okay. I don't know how Space Marine 2 is going to be. It might be like, they might be rebooting it enough that you don't really need to play the first one. Mm-hmm. But the first one was genuinely fun. Like, it's genuinely fun. I don't know if it's any lighter than Bolt Gun, mood-wise, but <laughs> I think you would enjoy the first Space Marine. Definitely enjoy probably the new one if it looks like it's going to be fantastic. But yeah, I wanted to talk about Space Marine and get that in there because I think as a comparison that it's a better game than Bolt Gun. So if you were recommending something for somebody for their first Warhammer game, you would recommend the Space Marine one. I would highly recommend Space Marine. I think it's, I expected to go into it and get jank. I expected jank. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with the Gears of War series? A little bit. I don't really like them, to be honest. I didn't think they were super fun. Yeah. So Gears of War came out in 2008 or nine. And I recently went back to try to play the first one and it's mechanically like it sucks. Like mechanically <laughs> it feels bad. Like yeah, I, I didn't really like, you know, shooting and going to cover. Then yes. Reloading. The cover based shooting doesn't feel good. Space Marine is like if Gears of War was good and it's like, hey, fuck cover. Let's just like one hand fire a gun and then have another hand to melee and never get in cover, ever. Like, we don't need cover because if we need health, we're going to execute this space marine and get full health. Get full health. It's yeah. awesome. It's mm-hmm. just so good. And I expected it to feel like shit. I expected it to feel like shit. But as a Warhammer fan, I had to pay my dues and experience one of the <laughs> bigger games that they made. But no, it's fantastic. And if anyone was wanting to, like, dip their toes in and kind of experience Warhammer and the world, it's a great one. And the orcs are just ridiculous the orcs are like games workshop refers to them as like they were styled over like football hooligans which football Mm -hmm. refers to soccer Soccer. in the uk Mm -hmm. and they're just ridiculous i mean like the main enemy of the orcs is this war boss who's he's kitted out with just big mechanical ramshackle scrapyard arms and and a helmet and he's like get off my ship space marine i mean just (laughs) ridiculous voice acting Mm -hmm. thick uk backwater accent mm-hmm. and just so fun just so viscerally fun bringing you in this world seeing these ridiculous orcs you're just shredding them apart it's super fun so have you played any very much of the board games yeah 
in regards to the tabletop. So maybe that would be a good place to end it. Maybe we should take a quick break and then, yeah. you know, maybe talk a little bit about the board games and then we can end yeah. it up. Yeah, it sounds good to me. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, well, welcome back. We're back from our, our brief break. And I really just kind of want to hear about the, you know, the board games of Warhammer 40K. You know, maybe what have you played? You know, obviously, you know, this has a, a rich history. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I guess something like just really quick on this. With board games that have like miniatures and figures, like it can be a little bit, I guess, exclusive in some sense of the way. Like it's not very inclusive because, it, you know, there is the yeah. cost to it of buying the actual minifigs. And I've been to PAX these last two years. And one of the coolest board games that I played was one where you have these like miniature figures and you kind of like buy parts of like a spaceship and you kind of have like a 1v1 dogfight Mm. based on like the ship that you build and you kind of like buy the parts to it. And that was really cool. And I was really interested in that. But it was like, hey, in order to get like the starting kit with the base parts it's like a couple hundred bucks and it's like kind of like a big box. Like one, you got to have the space for it. And which, you know, is something that like living in New York, like yeah. I just don't really have this space for a ton of games, but also like the cost of it too. Like these are physical objects, you know, that cost money to produce. So I guess I don't know if you want to touch on that at all. Like is Warhammer like different from that? I mean, like yeah. how intense is the, like the actual like physical aspect of it? Okay. So classically, the meme is that what you're describing is insane for Warhammer. Like there is a lot of minis. There is a, mm-hmm. it's very expensive for people. A lot of space taken up. Seeing someone who has a full, take for example, Imperial Guard. That's like normal soldiers. Someone who has a full Imperial Guard army. They're going to have like three of the Layman Ross tanks, which are like $70 a piece. They're going to have probably a hundred plus guardsmen. Which that's going to be at least a couple hundred dollars. They're going to have just a bunch of stuff. I mean, they're a horde army, so they're going to be more expensive. But there's a lot of units that you need for them. However, this is why I like video games. You just yes. <laughs> you buy it once, it takes up the space on the hard drive. <laughs> However, actually, I have a perfect example. One sec. I got to walk away from my computer for one millisecond for you. Mm-hmm. All right. So I don't actually play Warhammer like normal Warhammer. I collect the miniatures, but I also play what's called Kill Team. Now, Kill Team was originally just kind of an offshoot of normal Warhammer to get people to play it. But mm-hmm. Kill Team is now its own thing. Like, I mean, it's Warhammer. It's Warhammer 40,000 Kill Team. But instead of playing with hundreds of minis, you're playing with 6 to 14 minis. Gotcha. So right here, obviously the audience can't see this, but this is uh, Space Marine Phobos Kill Team. It gotcha. builds mm-hmm. 10 guys. This is all you need to play kill team is these 10 guys 10 miniatures you know they've this got pictures of them on, ba- on the back is 50 bucks okay not very bad. reasonable not expensive reasonable. at all it's not much larger it kind of looks like two game boy advance boxes side yep. by side and i mean we're talking about miniatures they're a couple inches tall yeah this tall so 10 of these guys even in new york you could, could you say could fit that into you could life. fit 10 guys in now the price goes up a little bit when you take into account that you're going to have to paint these guys. So you're going to have to get glue. That's like five, six bucks. You're going to have to get some paint brushes. That's maybe another $10. You're going to have to get paints. If you want to do super simple, you could probably get away. But it also kind of part of it is kind of the therapeutic aspect 100%, of actually building 100%, them and putting it's them awesome. together. It's an awesome experience that like mm-hmm. you don't get in anything else. Because that's the thing, right? This is 50 bucks. Let's just say... I spend a hundred bucks total, 50 bucks on paint and supplies, 50 bucks on this. 
sure, maybe I'll only play this once a month with people, but each figure is going to take maybe three hours to build and paint. So 30 hours of painting and building as a hobby, plus the infinite, like, as far as I've been in Kill Team, like, teams don't just go away. Like, it's not like you have to buy more to update them. So it's mm-hmm. like, this I can always play. It's a good deal, like, dollar to hour mm-hmm. ratio. I mean, it's close yeah. to a video game. When you look at dollar to hour, you spend 100 bucks, and you probably get a couple hundred hours of entertainment. And you have physical models that you can show people like, hey, I painted these. That's a whole mm-hmm. element on its own. But yeah, like Kill Team is, in my opinion, super... I've been a hobbyist my entire life. I've played Magic the Gathering. Now I'm playing mm-hmm. Kill Team. I've always been around comic shops and card shops and collectibles. Mm-hmm. It's always been my jam. And Kill Team is the most affordable like hobby that I've really been exposed to. Yeah, that's awesome. Because I mean, like for me, like I <laughs> I love buying like these classic Game Boys and, and yeah. just modding them. And at some point, like it's like, yeah, you got the Game Boy. It's like 60 to 100 bucks for the Game Boy. And you got to buy all the parts for it. If you want to update the modern screen, you're looking at like a 60 to $100 upgrade there. Like I built one, like a Game Boy Pocket and I put like a battery in it that can like it's wireless charging mm-hmm. and like that whole mod, like it was expensive, you know, to do. And I mean, it's really cool because then you have like, you know, you have something, you took it apart, you modded it, and then you can infinitely play it, you know, as long as you play it. But it does kind of like, it is expensive, you know, to do that. But it's like the enjoyment of it is also, you know, the physically doing it. Like it's very therapeutic and it's, yeah. it's very fun just to, you know, do something with your hands. And that's a big part of it. I mean, to be honest, I've only played a handful of games of Kill Team with my friends. Because in theory, if you don't have a shop to play at, I mean, it's pretty hard to get into because you do need like a tabletop and then like Mm -hmm. there's a scenery that you'll play on and that's like a hundred bucks or whatever. So if you don't have a place to go to where someone owns that, that's more of the cost. But honestly, like I just like building them and painting them like that's Mm -hmm. like I like playing the game. The game is decently complicated, though. There's a lot of rules. But I mm-hmm. like getting engrossed in rules. I like getting engrossed in in learning how to play things. Yeah, it's fun to have that aspect. Yeah. And it's like simple. There's a lot of rules, so it's complex. But like what you're doing is simple. Like it's not mm-hmm. like it doesn't take all of this mathematics or something to play it. But you have to learn like, okay, so bolters hit on threes. So when I roll threes, the bolters do damage. And, and mm-hmm. there's all these different rules like that. But it's fun to kind of see... Like, I got my friend into it. I'm like, well, what do you want to play? And he looked through all the different factions. He's like, I want to do the Chaos Space Marines. So it's like, all right. So, like, I bought him a box of Chaos Space Marines. We built, like, he built them while I was building an army here. And, like, that's just fun. That's a fun experience to do with your friends. So with the kill team, there's different, I guess, like, different armies or different sets that you can use against each other. So you can hypothetically have, like, two or three sets of the kill team. And, like, today I want to play this build. I have a lot. I have a lot and I've only painted I've only painted my space marines but I have space marines I have veteran guardsmen I have necrons I have imperial navy I have because that's the thing is like when someone plays warhammer they're gonna have hundreds of minis and they're only gonna be have one faction I like variety mm-hmm. so in kill team I'm like it's 50 bucks for a box okay so yes yeah, so like if you play is like if you really get into warhammer 40k and you play the actual game like you're only gonna do like one of these because i guess yeah i guess that makes sense because it's so expensive to get all these figs like you can really only do them. yeah but kill team is like hey you spend 50 bucks you build your guys you paint them you don't like them it's like not a big deal you can just buy another a different box yeah if you don't like them. the play style yeah, yeah exactly or if you're trying to challenge yourself play a new play style and they all 
so like some factions do like lean towards like you should probably buy two boxes like not all of Mm -hmm. them but like the veteran guardsmen are like you can play with them out of the box but there's so many options that it's nice to have like to be able to build all like there's 14 different guys but you can only build 10 in a box so it's like but you can only run 10 at a time so it's like it's not that you're at a disadvantage but you're at a disadvantage because you don't have the full like ability to customize and pick who you want to run each time because like if you're going up against a different opponent you might want a different for example there's different gunners like one has a melta gun one has a plasma gun like in bulk gun well the melta is better against people who have big armor while the uh, plasma gun is better against people who may just be like normal armor so like Mm -hmm. it's nice to have both those options and when you see who you're going up against before the game starts you can swap those guys so makes it, it's kind of like a deck exactly it's like a deck and a sideboard is what they call it a magic so but even a hundred bucks for having all the possible options is not bad for a it's hobby. not terrible yeah because no. i played magic dude in magic if you wanted to play like modern right modern was the biggest the biggest uh, format the cheapest deck was like six hundred dollars yeah the cheapest tier one deck like obviously you could play a ten dollar deck of jank and never win but if you wanted to win you were playing a six hundred dollar deck that it's cardboard you know it's Mm -hmm. cardboard at the end of the day and it's at least with warhammer you spend a bunch of money you paint them at least it's impressive you show someone you have something tangible exactly or at least more tangible than 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 cards yeah yeah and yeah that's something that i've always had a problem with like with card games like i love them i've actually really gotten you know kind of into them a little bit i'm I'm scratching the itch and, Mm -hmm. and buying some pokemon packs here and there i know i'm never gonna commit just because of the the money commitment I don't know. I just don't think it's, it's have, just not for me. I have a lot of magic cards. I have actually, I wonder what the price of it is now. One sec. Let's see. I have a card that in my binder right now that is worth $330. It's a lot of packs for a piece of cardboard, you know? <laughs> now, did you get that as like a random pack or did you go so out and buy that? I actually that bought card? this on Facebook marketplace because it was a card that I always wanted to own as a kid mm-hmm. and I never could. And it's on something called the reserve list in Magic where they're never going to reprint it. So it's never going to lose its value. So I was like, well, I either buy it now or I buy it later in my adulthood. And it's now $1,000 instead of $200. Mm -hmm. So So when you got it, it was like $200. I have technically made money owning this card. So (laughs) I'm an investor. You know, that's what I tell everyone. I tell my girlfriend, like, yeah, it's an investment. You know, it's an investment in this piece of cardboard. (laughs) Yeah. Kill Team is super fun. If anyone wanted to get into like Warhammer or like tabletop games, because mm-hmm. it's different than a board game, right? Because like you said board game mm-hmm. and I didn't want to correct you. No. Yeah, I did. I meant like tabletop. Yeah. Like obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, because I play a lot of board games. I love board games. I'm a big board game guy. Yeah. And kind of like the board games like you kind of get in like 50 bucks and it's, yeah. you know, it's all yeah. there, all pieces included. But yeah, this is kind of more tabletop. Board games are great because they l- allow you to have contained balanced experience for you and whoever you want with kill team is uniquely cool to me because it's like i just love seeing like okay what faction is this guy gonna play and like how did he paint his guys like with space marines like space marines Mm -hmm. are super popular but there's i told you there's all those different legions all the different chapters of space marines but then Mm -hmm. there's also successor chapters so like the imperial fists which i was telling you about they wear yellow armor well, they have a successor mm-hmm. chapter called the Black Templars. The Black Templars wear knight armor and black armor and like big crosses and have big knight swords. And you're like, the Black Templars are super popular. And you're like, oh, that's cool. This guy like 
likes the Black Templars. And then he made like a, his characters are a, a faction yeah, of this because, other faction. Because and... there's also custom successor chapters where you can make your own faction for Space Marines. So you can be like, these are the, I don't know, like the fucking Emperor's Bolter, the Emperor's Bolters or something, you know? And then like, <laughs> they all are equipped with Bolters and they're all golden or whatever. And you can do that mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's valid. And in Kill Team, it doesn't really affect how they play most of the time. Like weapons mm-hmm. affect it's it. It's just but, how they look. But just how they look. It's just cool. Because like orcs are always green, but in canon, but you can paint them whatever color you want. So you meet a guy who has pink orcs and you're like, that's cool. Just the fact that he didn't care. He's like, I'm going to paint my orcs pink. That's fun to me. Yeah. And it's yeah, fun awesome. to like, it's just a cool experience to get guys and put them together and paint them and display them and then go out and then play some games with them. It's cool. It's a cool experience that I don't think you get with any other hobby. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So in regards to the tabletop aspect, you would recommend Kill Team. Kill Team. Yeah. And, and then yeah, I guess for like there's the novels or, or books or Yeah. Where would you recommend somebody start there for Warhammer 40k? So I just read a novel of a trilogy, the first book called mm-hmm. Eisenhorn. It's a Inquisitor, which, as I said, Inquisitor is kind of like a CIA kind of guy, an investigator kind of mm-hmm. dude. And Eisenhorn takes place, the beginning is a cult has gone on this ice planet. And this planet has uh, like nobility, but their nobility is lined up for generations and they're all in cryopods. So it's like, all right, next nobility, we get them out of this cryopods, okay. which is a really cool concept. <laughs> but this cult has infiltrated and the beginning is this cult is they're like killing all these, this nobility. They're taking them off life support and these people are like dying. And there's this cultist, this lead cultist that the main character, Gregor Eisenhorn, has been chasing through the galaxy trying to get a hold of. And he finally gets a hold of. In the first chapter, he kills this guy. But after this guy has caused such intense damage, but it becomes clear to Eisenhorn that the story doesn't end here. This is just part of a bigger conspiracy. He's just one guy on the chain and it's going up and you kind of see this conspiracy of where does this connect and these mysteries of like there's like a sarcophagus at the beginning with all these wires in it and it's like what were they doing with this the main character doesn't know no one knows you don't know as the reader and you have to kind of put together as the story it's a mystery story as it resolves like what's going on and you don't need to have any knowledge because the story explains as it goes oh here's a cult Here's what they're doing. Here's the elements of this and this. And this is why they did this probably. But a lot of it's speculation because the main character doesn't know. It's a mystery novel. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's part of a trilogy. And something that's interesting about the trilogy is the main character, Eisenhorn. As an Inquisitor, there are different philosophies in the Inquisition. He's a purist. So he thinks that all chaos, all warp technologies, they all need to be stamped out. We shouldn't use them. But there are radicals in, there are people called like a radical philosophy in the Inquisition, which believes, hey, let's use the warp against itself. And Mm. the Eisenhorn novels (laughs) kind of show Eisenhorn go from a purist and kind of start to get convinced that like maybe the radicals are onto something. He starts to see some of these chaos powers and some of these chaos entities And not even getting fully corrupted, he's still a good guy, but he's thinking like, maybe there is a way to tame these powers for the emperor, you know, in the name Mm -hmm. of the emperor. And watching kind of that shift in this character's internal thought processes is really interesting to me and fascinating, even if you don't know 
because the story lays out like, hey, here's radicals here. I'm a purist. And he says all these things in the novel. You don't need to know the background to kind of follow the story. Exactly. And I think it's it's not a great novel if you're interested in like the Space Marines and you're interested in all the flashy stuff. But if you're like, Mm -hmm. I want to read a compelling sci fi mystery novel and just get a taste of what's there in, in the, the universe Warhammer universe yeah fantastic great and what was that again eisenhorn it's called the eisenhorn, eisenhorn trilogy the first eisenhorn one trilogy. is eisenhorn i believe it's xenos xenos is the name of the first novel gotcha yeah that's compelling yeah so anyone who's interested in that i would recommend the eisenhorn novel once again for video games the space marine 2011 space marine yes is fantastic the problem with the Warhammer world is a lot of the games, because of the tabletop element, a lot of the games are like real-time strategy games or they're like turn-based okay. battle game. Yeah. And is that just not a genre that you're interested in or do you not think? I do like them. I think less people like them than action right. games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If anyone was interested in the other side, the two best ones off the top of my head are, I think it's called Mechanicus. Well, I mean, like, it just seems like, I mean, there's enough for anyone or there's a lot for anyone in this yes. series. If someone was into, like, the RTSs or whatever, I would recommend mm-hmm. Mechanicus, which I've played some. And it's really good, really thematic. Talks about the cult Mechanicus as they're invading a Necron tomb. So the cult Mechanicus mm. being these obsessed with technology, obsessed with, like, mm-hmm. robotic augmentations. And the Necrons being an ancient race of robotic skeletons. You can kind of see the interesting dynamic there between these mm-hmm. two factions. Great game. Music, so good. I mean, the soundtrack, even if you're never going to play that game, the Mechanicus soundtrack, the first cutscene for it, like if you go to YouTube right now and look up Mechanicus intro, yeah, the opening scene, it's a minute and 10 seconds. The atmosphere and the voice and just the sound design sends shivers down my spine. It is so (laughs) good. It is so, like, so good. Yeah, I mean, this also has a very unique just art style. Yes. I mean, I mean obviously, it's you know it's in this universe, so it's going to be a little bit like dark. But yeah, man, that's actually it's really cool. When was this game released? 2019, I want to say off the top of my head. November of 2018. There you go. Okay. I was close. Wow, look at that. You were close. But yeah, Mechanicus is great. And mm-hmm. also, if you're more into Space Marines, there's a similar game and a similar play style that's had a bigger budget, so it's got better graphics and stuff. It's called mm-hmm. Warmer 40,000 Chaos Gate Demon Hunters. <laughs> Warmer 40,000 Chaos Gate Demon Hunters takes the story of the Grey Knights, which are a secret faction of Space Marines, which their mm-hmm. only job is to slay demons. And they are literally look like knights. They have like silver shining armor and knight helmets. Mm-hmm. It's super cool. The beginning sets up a very compelling narrative of a Grey Knight leader being slain by a demon and being stranded out in space and you kind of have to their mystery that kind of unfolds and you kind of have to lead a squadron of these Grey Knights through these demon and cultist infested places. Mm-hmm. Super good. Once again, I've only played a couple hours of it. These games like do require a lot of like concentration, sitting down. You play it for mm-hmm. two hours and you've only really gone through a couple missions. Yeah, I mean, that's the genre. <laughs> but yeah, if you're into those kind of games, both Mechanicus and Chaos Gate Demon Hunters are both fantastic. Awesome. So, yeah. That's Warhammer 40K, man. That's Warhammer 40,000. You did it. We, uh, you did it. It only took you like three hours. Only man. three hours. You explained it's... the briefest of intros, and we talked about a couple games. So. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully at some point in the next year or two, we'll see the Amazon show come out. 
and hopefully it's awesome and people start getting to 40k and we see 40k movies or something. I don't know. Hopefully. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm hearing whispers of the Warhammer 40k. Yeah. It's something that I've, I've kind of been hearing a little bit more about. I mean, obviously, like this is the most in-depth I've ever yeah, um, gotten yeah. into it. So thank you for being our resident Warhammer 40k <laughs> expert. But yeah, I'm really interested, you know, to learn more about it and more about the universe. And obviously, like, there's just so many different factions and the lore so deep. Like, the stories that you could tell within that are, are, are really There's really something really for everyone. Like, there really mm-hmm. is. There's so many factions and so much to go into. And whatever you want, there's something there in 40K for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Ian. Before we go, though, please shout yourself out again. Where can people find you on the internet? And maybe just give like a a brief tease about the video that you're going to release later this week. So like I said, on all social media, I'm Ian Norris. So I use Twitter and YouTube the most. As I mentioned earlier, my YouTube channel is kind of in limbo right now as I'm kind of restructuring it, taking it in a new direction. But I'm releasing a, I think it's about 23, 25 minute video about Fortnite that's been in the works Mm -hmm. for a while now. And I'm going kind of in depth of... The video title is what is Epic Games secret to keeping Fortnite relevant? And everyone knows Fortnite and a lot of people haven't played it for a while or maybe they've played it a little bit. It's a Leviathan of a game. Exactly. And uh, there's the question of like, well, why has it been around for so long? And I kind of talk about we've kind of had the flash in the pan during COVID of like Among Us and uh, Fall Mm -hmm. Guys and these games that like were here and everyone was talking about them and then they were gone. And then they trickle off. But Fortnite... They enter the zeitgeist and they they leave just as quick as they entered. But Fortnite has been pretty eternal. I mean, for Mm -hmm. with its original release in 2017, I discussed that like that's not even where it starts. This goes all the way back to 2011 and I talk about the original Fortnite Save the World and Epic Games and what they had envisioned for Fortnite and where it went and why it went that direction and how it's been molded currently and where that's going in the future and kind of how like recently they talk about the unreal engine being Mm -hmm. integrated into Fortnite, and i talk about that and how the implications of that line up with like roblox and the roblox engine Mm -hmm. yeah like user generated content exactly and and yeah that's kind of seems like that's the future of Fortnite. but i mean we did kind of discuss Fortnite briefly on the show when they you know, did the update where it was in Unreal Engine mm-hmm. 5. And I kind of, you know, play it on and off just with friends. And it, I mean, it's something that, it, I mean, it's really, you know, one of the best just online games because it's free. Anybody, anybody can get it. The barrier to entry is so low. Yeah. But it really is, I mean, it is fun and they do do things to make it stay relevant. So I'm very excited to listen to or to watch your video on that just because it kind of seems like a, like a documentary. Almost yeah, it's like a mini Fortnite. documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very excited for that. I mean, because it's one of those things where I, I feel like I don't really know that much about it other than, you know, just it existing, you know, yeah. in and of itself. And so uh, I'm very interested in that. By the time that people will have heard this podcast, the video will be out on my channel, Ian Norris, and it will have been out for probably about a week by that point because it should release today. Which yeah, is... I'll link it in the show notes so you can just yeah. find his channel and find the video. Yeah. It'll be right there. But yeah, very cool. It's very awesome that you're doing this too because. You know, one of the things when we talk about Fortnite, me and Brandon, we kind of talk about how it changes every week. Like there's no preservation of it. So just having, you know, your videos 
kind of a sense of preservation is was very awesome. a bit of a challenge because now as i'm getting ready to release this video because it i mean it took me about a month and a half maybe two months there are some things that are now even outdated even being a month later mm -hmm. where i have to put a note like hey i only talk about the sword the hammer and ODM gear, but now there's all of these weapons and they got rid of the sword. And I'm like, shit, well, I'm not going to edit that out because like, this is yeah. what the script is. So like, hey, this game's constantly changing. That's kind of the point of this video. Like it mm -hmm. changed when I wrote this script. And by the time that I'm actually- Over the course of making a 20 minute video, exactly. it has changed dramatically. Exactly. It yeah. changes every week. It's crazy. So yeah, I'm super hyped. I hope it's a new style. It's a new angle that I'm doing for it. Mm -hmm. Just putting some comedy in there putting some bits in there, putting some... A little bit of green screen action? A little perhaps? bit of green screen action. A <laughs> couple little clips of some music that I uh, made up for it, just for fun. I think it's going to yeah, be... awesome. I think it's going to be good. Hope people love it. And that's kind of the direction I'm going to be moving. And somewhere down the line, not the next video, somewhere down the line, there will be a Warhammer. Warhammer 40,000. <laughs> the working title is The Wonderful World of Warhammer 40,000 Games. Now, this may oh, never come awesome. out, but I'm just letting you know, it's in Maybe my Google Maybe in the doc. works. I mean, there are a lot of them. There's we a lot of them. We talked about a lot of them today. We didn't even scratch the surface. We didn't even teams. scratch the surface. There's a whole lot. And a lot of them are not very good. <laughs> so there's some entertaining content there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ian. And, you know, thanks for joining us here at the Sticky Buns Podcast. Really appreciate it. And thank you so much. Check out Ian's video. And I hope that you have a great one. All right, bye.